Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, May 15, 843-661-0937 is our number. We're a bit shorthanded um, this morning. Josh and I are here. Good morning, Josh. How are you? Good morning. I'm uh, doing you're, well. You're, you're, you're Johnny on the spot this morning, or Josh on the spot uh, this morning. <laughs> the Royal Rev of Radio made another trip um, down south to see his um. If you can go any further south than South Carolina. Anyway, he went down to Florida to see his mom. Um, he's recounted some of her um, medical issues. So Rev left uh, sometime midday, mid-afternoon Friday. Is spending, I, I, talked, I, I, talked, I texted with him yesterday a good bit. Uh, about just spending some time with his mom. I mean, she's 87 and uh, and sick, and he wanted to spend as much time as he could between now and whenever, whenever um, her care works or not. I'll let him get as specific as he'd like with that, but um, should be back tomorrow. But anyway, Rev will not be with us today. Uh, spent time or spending time with his mom uh, down in Florida. If Rev were here, I would ask him about his Atlanta Braves and his South Carolina Gamecocks. You know, I was thinking about this riding over, Josh. You're not as into sports as I am. Um, the Gamecocks went from being maybe the best baseball team in America in college baseball after sweeping number three Florida in Columbia to now maybe being the third best team in the state of South Carolina. Baseball is a finicky, temperamental lady. I mean, it really is. Um, you can't explain baseball. Yeah, I mean, I just, you can't explain baseball, but of course you can explain baseball has been being played for hundreds of years. I mean, there's a way to explain it, but the finicky temperamental nature of baseball will will eventually find you out. And the Gamecocks had some injuries. Uh, there was a big debate early: were they that good, or was it the uh, you know ref came up with a good uh, phrase? They they're the McGrib. They're back, but for a limited time only. Um, lose two of three to Arkansas. No shame in that. Arkansas probably one of the two or three best teams in America and have been that way uh, for several weeks. But um, I mean, the Gamecocks were riding high, uh, current company included, and we were kind of um, talking about the glory days of uh, you know repeat visits and championships at the College World Series. And now you find yourself, I think, two and seven in the last nine conference games. Uh, yeah, two and seven. You got a a sweep against Kentucky, you win one of three against Auburn, you win one of three against Arkansas, Hannah uh, go Math Institute of Higher, yeah, two and seven, lose a midweek game against a team that you probably shouldn't have, you're two and eight in your uh, in your last ten games, and that's just not getting it done. Um, I don't know how much they'll drop in the rankings. That Once again, there's no shame in losing to Arkansas on the road, one of the best teams in America. But, but we said it earlier, and I'll say it again. To me, you play the regular season. I mean, if you're elite, and at one time we thought the Gamecocks were elite, I'm not sure uh, if they are or not, but they've had some injuries. I mean, they, you know, but a lot of teams have injuries and stop making excuses. But if they were elite, getting one of the eight seeds was the objective. And I don't know how you play yourself back into being one of the eight seeds. I think they played themselves out of a national top eight seed. And what that means, Josh, you host a regional, and then you host a second round, which is called the super regional, if you're one of the eight seeds. And uh, after going two and seven in three consecutive weekend series uh, against pretty good baseball teams, not great teams. Kentucky's pretty good. Auburn, not great. Uh, but Arkansas is one of the better teams in America. Meanwhile, Clemson and Coastal 
were kind of hitting their stride. Clemson in particular is um has really got it going on with the first year coach who came from Michigan. Uh, their young AD went out and got their guy, and uh, they struggled a bit to begin with. I think they might have had some injury issues early in the season, have gotten healthy, and have um have really put together a quality run here in the last what three weeks or so, maybe month. I don't keep up with Clemson. I'm naturally do like I do, do the Gamecocks. And then you've got Coastal kind of in the mix before. So, yeah, I mean, in a, in a month's time, the Gamecocks have gone from are we the best team in America or not, now are we the third best team in the state of South Carolina. And that's just a um, a projection of baseball. It's just the way it's just the way baseball is. Um, at the race yesterday, uh, here, you know, if I were hosting a sports show, I don't. I hope the bad boy Alan Smothers has fun with this. Um, this morning on our sister station, 96.3, who does a sports show, is Ross Chastain a hack or not? I mean, I, I don't know enough about racing. It's a little bit like this: the sports police themselves, but it's hard for you to suggest how to police a sport from afar. I've never driven a race car. Um, I've never played Major League Baseball. I, I'm good about saying, well, Major League Baseball polices itself, but it's policed by Major League Baseball players. I mean, they, the code of conduct is in their hands. Uh, you throw inside to a guy. You hit him in the ribs. Uh, you know, the the opposing pitcher hits your player in the ribs. Uh, tit for tat. You know, you got one of mine, I got one of yours. But the next thing you know, a, a, a 98-mile-an-hour fastball gets away and it, you know, in, in the head area, and it's just another animal. You can look at the baseball players on both teams like, no, we don't do that. I mean, you know, pitching inside is one thing. Um, seeking revenge and retribution is one thing. But throwing to throw it at somebody's head with a ninety-eight mile an hour baseball, I mean that's career ending. I mean you start talking about livelihoods and you know um, career ending injury. I mean that's, that's another animal. And I don't. I've never driven a race car, so I don't know what goes and what doesn't. I've watched racing my entire life, and I understand you race those the way they race you, and you kind of nudge them out of the way on some of these tracks, and you don't give them much room on on other tracks, and you squeeze them and you you pin them down. I mean there, there are a lot of terminologies in racing, but every damn week, I mean, Ross Chastain, somebody's angry with him every week about something he did on the racetrack. And and I get driving hard. I get being aggressive. I mean, I'm thinking of the late Dale Earnhardt. I think I saw a podcast over the weekend. Dale Earnhardt Jr. said, you know, dad didn't create the intimidator. Dad didn't create the man in black. NASCAR did that. I mean, it was a marketing ploy for NASCAR. They needed kind of a Darth Vader. And, um, and he was, more than willing to oblige in that uh, in that role, but is is Ross Chastain that? I mean, is it a, is he a phenomenally talented driver who just makes a mistake here? I don't know. I mean, you know, once again, I don't drive race cars. I, I do know that Rick Hendrick had something to say yesterday about um, you know, if if the list gets so long, you don't win championships. In other words, if you hit this guy, and then the next week you hit that guy. And the next week, you knock this guy out of the way. And the next week, you knock that guy out of the way. Sooner or later, you ain't got many friends out there. And if drivers keep score, and I think they do, and you race them as they race you, then why do you think that's smart? I mean, why do you think running a guy up the wall, um, knowing you got to race him against next week and the next week? And the, I, I just don't understand that. But um, but I think, you know, the, um, the Kyle Larson team referred to Ross Chastain as a hack. I don't know enough about racing, but I mean, as much as I've watched, as much as as I understand, I'm not a driver. I've never driven a race car, so I don't know what that club's like. I, I don't know what is 
um, crossing the line and what's not. I mean, I understand anger, frustration, and emotion. I mean, that's baseball, football, basketball, racing, hockey, uh, whatever. Just insert sport here. I mean, emotions are emotional. Um, but but I, I, I just don't understand the logic of, of just, you know, running this guy to the wall at this track, uh, turning this guy around at that track, uh, doing the same thing at another track and another track. And I mean, sooner or later you're out there on an Island. And if somebody has a chance to, you know, to, to settle the score, uh, that's what they're going to do. So anyway, it's an exciting race, no doubt at, at Darlington, happy for Darlington. I mean, it showed well on television. It's a, uh, it's a neighboring County to our broadcast, uh, epicenter Florence. Um, a lot of folks from Sumter make their way to Darlington. I would imagine a lot of folks from Orangeburg make their way to Darlington. A lot of people from Florence make their way over to, um, over to Darlington and, uh, you know, watching the race. I'm just sitting, you know, I, I, I wish I were a driver. I wish I knew, uh, where the line was crossed. And when you cross the line, you go to the driver and say, Hey man, my bad. You know what I mean? I, I, I overcommitted to the turn. I couldn't hold the car on the bottom. I know I pinched into the wall. I wrecked you. I'm sorry. You know, and, uh, and you kind of move on. Chastain doesn't do that. I mean, he just doesn't do that. And I, you know, it, it makes the sport interesting. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You kind of got a villain. You got somebody you can say, yeah, somebody's going to get him back this weekend. I just, if I'm Ross Chastain and I look at the list of people I've wrecked and the number of people I haven't wrecked, I mean, the, the, the list of people I've wrecked is getting a lot longer than the list of people I haven't wrecked. And you got to believe that race car drivers have memories and they understand you race me that way, brother. I mean, just, you know, turn around as fair play. And I don't understand the logic of every weekend doing every weekend doing that to a fellow race car driver, knowing that you've got to race him again the next week. And he has a car, you know, probably equally as fast and powerful um, as yours. So anyway, there, there cleans the deck on, on sports. We got Braves, we had a tough weekend. Gamecocks had a tough weekend. We gave a thumbs up to Clemson. That's hard for me to do. But the truth hurts sometimes. Uh, Clemson is one of the um, one of the hottest and I guess better baseball teams in all of America today. Coastal is doing their thing. Coastal has already won a College World Series, and then Revs Braves um, didn't play so well over the uh, over the weekend. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I want to really spend a little bit of time this morning going back to something that we talked about Friday with our delegation. They actually stayed a segment longer than normal. They stay the entire eight o'clock hour and in for about 15 or 20 minutes in the nine o'clock hour talking about, you know, I think some of the callers were suggesting what we could do about one County, one district, uh, one district. There was a, um, I think Wayne may have called um, late in the show and suggested there's some lawsuits out there that, that say the 10th amendment, maybe the 14th amendment supersede, some of what the state constitution, excuse me, some of what the courts have said about the state constitution. Um, that's kind of an interesting debate. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a constitutional scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but I do know that as we speak, court precedent says one man, one vote. Now, now there, there are ways to challenge that. I think Jay Jordan and Mike Rickenbaugh, Philip Lowe suggested that the state could pass a law arguing for one senator in one county and you know you gotta you gotta get the law passed and you gotta get the governor signing into law and then somebody you know challenges that lawsuit and then you've got you know standing in the courts uh but but i went back and read over the weekend a good bit of the growth in south carolina and it is so interesting i'll give you a stat josh you're new to south carolina 
South Carolina has 46 counties. It is the third, fourth, or fifth fastest growing state in America, depending on what metric you believe, what analytic uh, you fall for. But it's somewhere between number three and number five in fastest growing states in all of America. 46 counties, third, fourth, or fifth fastest growing state in America. 24 of its 46 counties lost population in the most recent census. 24 of 46 counties lost population in the third fastest growing state in America. How can that be? The decline of rural America. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, some of these counties, 9,000 people, 11,000 people, 12% decline in population, 9% decline in population, 16% decline in population. I, I don't know if that's, I mean, obviously that's that's unusual, but I don't know if it's that fringy. I mean, what percentage of New Yorkers live in New York City? You know, I don't know the state's population, but the city's population is what? Eight, nine, 10 million people um, live in that city. It's, it's just kind of unusual. And I want to kind of go down the road of um, of what's happening in South Carolina and what, cons- what my concerns are legislatively if we don't begin developing a plan to more proportionally represent our citizens in its state's general assembly. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. We got Breeze. Breeze, you're live. You know, kids, they're going to fight that, though. They're going to fight that. I, I spent the weekend looking, you know, looking through stuff like countries like Mexico, Venezuela, and realized that just how helpless they were and are against, against their government. They didn't know me. We're just as helpless down here. We are just as helpless. We can't get stuff. We have no recourse against city government. We have no recourse against county government. And if Earl Jay and Mike and the rest of those guys, I don't even know what they can do. I mean, I was watching a video of Ted Cruz supposedly standing there at the border. But could you imagine if you lived on one of those border towns and you had a business there or a farmer to ranch or wife the kids, and what your government, nobody, nobody's doing it to you but your government is doing that to you, and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. Your government can do anything it wants to your children, and there ain't a damn thing you can do about it. They can do anything they want to you, and I just don't know how the heck does, what do you do? I mean, you can call up, you can, you can call up your dog, you can call up the state representative, call up some politician. And half the time, he hasn't even got any authority over the bureaucrat that's trying to destroy you and your family's lives. You know, and you're talking about these guys aren't going to want to give up that power, kid. The last thing they want to do is give power to Florence County, Darlington County, or Williamsburg County, or any other county. They want the power to be where the money's at and where the people's at. We'll have a heck of a time getting that done. You know, I don't know. Does anybody got a game plan? Where we're the um, where the rubber hits the road and a metal hits the moon, we got to have some kind of a plan, and I don't know if anybody has any plan. I sure as hell don't have one. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Let's take our first break of the week. Come back. I'm going to go through through some of this data. I think it's interesting. And if you're a fellow South Carolinian, I think you'll find it a bit interesting. Um, you know, what is the plan? Does there need to be a plan? I mean, if I live in Horry County, if I live in Charleston County, if I live in Greenville County, if I live in York County, I like the plan. You know, my, my part of the country or my part of the state is growing exponentially faster than everywhere else. I want political representation to follow. I mean, I want, you know, 
if I'm a densely populated county, I want a lot of, you know, General Assembly representation in our state Senate and state House of Representatives. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few. Okay, stick with me for a second. So in the 10th Amendment, it says the power is not delegated by the United States, by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states or reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. Um, that's the 10th Amendment. So a lot of people argue that Reynolds versus Sims was not constitutional because it violated the 10th Amendment, the right for states to decide their fate and future if the Constitution doesn't specifically speak to that um, issue. But let's go to Reynolds-Sims. Let's go to, to class for a second here, Josh. You ready? I mean, that, that was the, um, I mean, I'll read verbatim here. The landmark U.S. Supreme Court case in which the courts ruled that the electoral districts of state legislative chambers must be roughly equal in population. I mean, you got Baker, Carr, you got Westbury Sanders. All of these are in the mid-60s. But it was the Warren Court that basically applied the principle of one person, one vote to U.S. legislative bodies. The state of South Carolina General Assembly would be that U.S. legislative um, body. Prior to this case, this, the Reynolds Sims case, I'm, I'm kind of ad-libbing here for a second, um, the state chambers had a lot of districts containing very unequal populations. I mean, I read one day in Nevada, the smallest district had less than 1,000 people. Uh, the largest had 127,000. So less than 1,000 people had one senator, 127,000 had, um, had a senator. A lot of these states refuse to engage in what we'll call regular redistricting. Um, I mean, it's favoritism. It's political favoritism without question. But then Reynolds Sims came along after voters in Birmingham, Alabama, changed the apportionment of the Alabama legislature, and that would have been the Constitution of Alabama. I mean, the Constitution of Alabama says very explicitly one state senator per one county regardless of population difference. I mean, that's, that's in the, 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 the Reynolds Sims case. Um, and it was a majority opinion. I think five or it's either five, four, six, three, but, um, but chief justice Earl Warren ruled that the 14th amendments equal protection clause required states to establish state legislative electoral districts, roughly equal in population Warren in his majority opinion held that legislators represent people, not trees or acres. Legislators are elected by voters, not farms or cities or economic interests. Now, uh, there was a dissenting opinion. John Marshall Harlan argued that the Equal Protection Clause was not designed to apply to voting rights. Um, that was deemed in the Constitution, in the state's um, different constitutions. Uh, but obviously, the decision had a major impact on state legislatures um, as you know, South Carolina and all other states had to change their system of representation. Jay Jordan chaired uh, the House Redistricting Committee, so he's well aware uh, of how it worked. And the reason we redistrict, the reason we find voters and, and lose voters and gerrymanders districts, I mean, some of it's politics, no doubt about it. I mean, when you're redistricting and you're a Democrat, you want more African-Americans in your district. If you're a Republican, you want less African-Americans. You're playing the odds. I mean, you're playing uh, the averages. But Reynolds-Sims is the law of the land. That is the landmark U.S. Supreme Court case in which the court basically said, I don't care what the Constitution says, the, the General Assemblies in the said in several states 
must be roughly equal in population. South Carolina's looking for 118,000 voters per Senate district. I thought it was 122, but they said 118. There's a 2.5% deviation, um, so stick with me. Why is South Carolina, I think, in trouble? And I'm talking about in trouble relating to um, to political representation and just the overwhelming majority of representation being in five, six, seven, eight um, counties. I, I did this over the weekend. Um, there are only 14 counties in South Carolina that have over 118,000 votes. So there's only 14 counties in our state that that if you if you take Reynolds and Sims and you redistrict and reapportion, um, and it's the landmark Supreme Court case. I mean, right now, it doesn't matter what the Tenth Amendment says. It doesn't matter what the Constitution of that state says. Um, the Supreme Court in Reynolds v. Sims overturned whatever the state's Constitution. It usur- usurps uh, the authority of that. So, so when you look at South Carolina, and I have no idea how unique we are. I mean, I don't have any idea how unique we are. I think it's different that we had... We have the third, fourth, or fifth fastest-growing state in America, and the majority of its counties lost population in the most recent census. I mean, that—that's a to me, that's a red light. Twenty-four of forty-six counties lost population, and we're the third, fourth, or fifth fastest-growing state in America. That—that that rings a bell to me. I mean, I'm like, wow. Okay, let's dig and let's find out what we are looking at. What eventually we hit will be. I'm heading our way. So, so I went back and did some math. And this is the most updated numbers that I have. What about 5.2 million people? I mean, there's probably a little more than that. But the most recent tally has South Carolina somewhere between 5.2 and 5.3 million. We'll be north of 5.5 million by by the next census. I mean, we'll probably be the 20th or 21st most populated state in America by the next census. Now, that's seven years away. Um, But... 5.2 5.2 million. We got 2 million people living in four counties, give or take 100,000. Greenville, Charleston, Ori, and Richland. Those four counties combined have about 2 million people. Um, if you add Spartanburg, Lexington, and York, it's another million. So roughly 60% of our entire population are in seven counties. I mean, it's not quite 60%. It's closer to 57%, but but nearly 60% of our population live in Greenville, Charleston, Ori, Richland, um, Spartanburg, Lexington, and York. It, it, that's got to be unique. Now, now, you know, I would imagine counties that share, uh, you know, excuse me, states that have counties that touch an ocean, I mean, that, that, that would be the anomaly. I mean, I doubt Nebraska has this sort of disproportional growth. I doubt Montana has this sort of, I mean, the, the, the ocean. I mean, 50% of American citizens, I think it's about 60% of American citizens, live in a county that touches an ocean. So we know the, um, the propensity people have for living um, near the coast. So if you've got 60% of your population in seven counties, you're going to have roughly 25 of your 46 senators in seven counties. And I think that's where we'll be by the 2030 census. So when we redistrict in 2030, you're going to have 25 of 46 county, uh, excuse me, 46 senators from seven states. 39 states will have the rest 
I mean, the, the other 19, uh, 25 and 19, yeah, the other 19 will be from the other 39 counties. That's just, to me, that's not healthy. I mean, it's just not healthy. If I'm a senator from Horry County or a senator from York County or a senator from Greenville County or a senator from Charleston County, I hate to say this, but I'm not that concerned about what's happening in rural uh, South Carolina. I'm just not. I mean, the 24 counties of the 46 total that lost population, I'm just not that concerned. It's not my job to be I'm that concerned. If I'm a governor uh, or a Department of Transportation Commerce Secretary, uh, excuse me, a Commerce Secretary or a DOT commissioner, I, I would imagine I have some concern because I'm looking at the state as a whole. And maybe this is where the argument I make about the governor having more executive authority, a stronger governor in South Carolina is something that would serve us well to look at the state in its totality. But because, once again, I have no idea if Georgia is like this or North Carolina is similar to this. Um, I don't live in North Carolina. I don't live in Georgia. I don't live in Florida. I would imagine that, that any state that has, you know, counties that touch an ocean are seeing a high percentage of growth. But, but South Carolina would be unique. Really good weather. The southeastern United States is a place that people are beginning to really, really move in rapid fire and rapid fashion. And, I mean, so you've got the ocean. you got really good weather. I got to believe that South Carolina would be, uh, this, this is probably happening in South Carolina a little faster than it's happening in other places around the country. We're not growing as fast as Texas. We're not growing as fast as Florida. We're not growing as fast as, I think North Carolina may be outgrowing South Carolina. Uh, we, along with Tennessee, are, are growing at about the same pace. Now, Tennessee doesn't have an ocean. I don't know what's leading people to Tennessee. It's got a big metropolitan area. It's Nashville. Um, I mean, Nashville's a big, big Southern city. We don't have that. I mean, Charleston's eclectic international flavored city. I mean, it's a, a very touristy, um, sort of place that people are now living. You've got industry, Volvo, Boeing, you know, you got BMW, the upstate. So, I mean, it, this is not your, your grandfather's South Carolina. This is a very, uh, diverse and complicated state becoming more diverse and more complicated, uh, as we speak. I just really sat down over the weekend and said, okay, I mean, it, you know, we had Jordan, Lowe, and Rickenbaugh with us uh, Friday, and we began discussing. And I think one of our callers called in and said, you know, basically, I mean, in essence, why can't Darlington have its own senator? Well, Darlington has 62,000 people. Griggs, I mean, excuse me, Reynolds versus Sims requires whomever's responsible for redistricting in South Carolina to go find 118,000. I mean, I don't care what you do. You can't make 118 out of 62. Darlington cannot have its own senator. So, I mean, it just can't unless we do what the the uh, the three members of the General Assembly talked about. If Mike Rickenbaugh went to Columbia next year and offered up a bill that said we're going to go back to one senator for one county and that gained traction and that passed the Senate. Now, once again, it gets harder and harder as time passes. As these seven counties get more and more populated, they're going to expect more and more political representation and the likelihood that those, you know, senators from Greenville, Charleston, Ory, Richland, Spartanburg, Lexington, and York, I mean, they're not going to vote themselves out of power. And, and I'll say this. I mean, Jordan wouldn't say it, but I'll say this. Had, had Jordan and the redistricting committee not sided against the coast on the 2.5% deviation, we would have probably had one more senator from these coastal counties, and maybe two more House members from these coastal counties. We lost a House seat in the PD. 
uh, we kind of sort of are close to losing a Senate seat, but there's no way around it in the next census. I mean, it's going to happen in the next Senate's, uh, the next uh, census, and it could happen twice if the deviation, if the if the redistricting committee is chaired by you know somebody from one of these seven counties, you, you'll probably see a, 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 a I don't want to say a mistake. This is not a mistake. You'll probably see a benefit given to the two and a half percent deviation for those who do live uh, up and down the coast. It's just a, it's a complicated matter that I think is going to eventually cause South Carolina some legislative issues. How do you fund education? How do you fund infrastructure? How do you fund economic development? I mean, the rich get richer, the poor get poor. I know I sound like a socialist here. We all should finish the race at the same time. But if you've got 60% of your political representation in seven counties and they're not looking after those seven counties, I mean, to me, they're not doing their job. You, you should vote those guys out of office. In other words, if I were a voter from Maury County, and, and I heard this plea and concern, I would give it the time of day. I'd listen. I'd be respectful. But but I'd say, look, guys, I mean, these people vote for me. I'm not running for governor. Horry County doesn't have a governor. Charleston doesn't have a governor. Uh, York County doesn't have a governor. Greenville County doesn't have a governor. And, and it's not my responsibility to look at the state in totality. It's my job to, here I go, you ready? Sound like a politician. It's my job to bring home the bacon. And home is Horry County. Home is York County. Home is Charleston County. Home is Greenville County. I'll let the governor decide what happens in these 24 counties of the 46 counties that have lost population um, since the last census. It's just a very, very complicated matter. And I've said it for three or four or five years. Uh, some listened, some didn't. But I could see this train coming. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind. When I ran for lieutenant governor in 2010, I mean, it, it dawned on me one day. I don't remember when it was, but I'm traveling uh, down the interstates and I get to Horry County and I'm like, wow, I mean, this place is different. I get to Greenville. Wow, this place is different. I get up to York County. Wow, this place is different. And then I get invited to some of these rural counties and it looked like it did 30 or 40 or 50 years ago, probably even worse than it did um, 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. And I don't know. Uh, what government's responsibility is to preserve rural America, I don't have any idea. I mean, I'm a limited government kind of guy, so I don't know what the answer is. But but I do know this. When 24 of 46 counties are losing population and every single one is rural and seven counties are gaining population as fast as any seven counties in America, Horry County grew at 39%. Charleston grew at 34%. York grew at 31% percent some of these rural counties are declining by 16 or 17 or 18 uh, percent so so we're past the tipping point i mean we're to a place now that by 2030 when we do the next census and re next redistricting 60 percent of every senator of all the senators in the south carolina state senate will come from seven counties I mean, they may touch some other counties but the lion's share of their voters will be in one of those seven counties and i just don't think that's good for state government i think you get disproportional representation i think when when, when money set aside or let as we like to say in government and economic development education transportation infrastructure whatever uh, the majority is going to go where the voters are excuse me where the votes are and the votes in the senate will be 60 percent from those um seven counties 843-661-0937 we'll take a break we'll be back in just a few moments. So if the number's 118,000 per Senate district, and we're arguing that South Carolina would be better served to have one county, one senator 
Um, Greenville County obviously meets that threshold. Charleston County, Richland County, Horry County, Spartanburg County, Lexington County, York County, Berkeley County, Anderson County, Beaufort County, Aiken County, Dorchester County, Florence County, Pickens County, the the most populated county in South Carolina that doesn't meet the threshold of 118,000 is Sumter County. And Sumter's down from the last census, 2.3% in population. Um, 104,986 is in in Sumter. 135,000 is in Florence and Pickens. So they would be above um, that threshold of 118 per per Senate district. But that number increases. I mean, obviously, I'd, I'd predict that number could be 125, 128 by the next um, census. And the reason I talk a lot about Horry County, guys, it's not, I mean, I don't, I don't go to Horry a lot. I go to Georgetown far more than I go to Horry. But the reason I talk a lot about Horry County, Horry County is the biggest land acreage county east of the Mississippi. Um, let's let's do this real quick. I've got a way I can. Uh, Greenville County has 303 square miles. Charleston County, 354 square miles. Um, Richland County, 292 square miles. Horry County, 438 square miles. Horry County is 135 square miles bigger, uh, larger than Greenville County. It's about 100 uh, bigger than Charleston County. It's about 150 uh, larger than Richland County. It's growing at about 40%, 39.46%. It only has a density. Greenville has a density person, people per mile. People per mile in Greenville, 698. In Charleston, 465. In Richland, 572. And um, in Spartanburg, 422. Horry uh, County's only 331. I mean, Horry County has so much more room to grow because it has so much um, land mass that people have not, I say, inhabited yet. I mean, it's just not to the degree we're seeing um, happen now. So when I see Greenville, I mean, 698, I don't know what, what the, the, the maximum density per acre for people in Greenville is county is but 698 seems high in south carolina 465 in charleston 562 in richland and then you've got 331 so if um so if charleston excuse me if Horry can grow you know another 100 people per square acre and they've got 435 or 438 acres i mean you see where the math can go i mean that, that's why i say Horry county will have probably a half million people Horry county will beat charleston and richland to a half million people. I mean, I predict they're behind in population. Um, Charleston has 425. Richland has 425. Ori's at about 377-ish. Um, but I predict that Ori will 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 get to 500,000 people faster than Charleston or Richland. I mean, Greenville's already north of 500. But Greenville's become an economic center. I mean, Greenville's got Michelin North American headquarters, BMW North American Headquarters. I mean, it's a. Um, I mean, they've done a great job of the upstate of South Carolina. Uh, I don't say it's cro- close proximity to Atlanta, but it's close enough to a major, major southern uh, metropolitan area. A lot of land. Tra- excuse me, uh, air travel flying in and out of Atlanta, and I'm talking about international travel that that can make its way to Greenville in a couple of hours. That's a big deal in the international travel community. But um, but but I still believe that Ore will probably get to 500,000 people quicker than Richland or um or Charleston will and and I still believe that York County I mean Charles excuse me Charlotte is growing 
leaps and bounds, Josh. That's kind of your stomping ground. You know how fast it's growing. Uh, York County, but it only has 263 acres of land mass. So it can only, it's at 439 uh, people per acre now, um, about 300,000. I can see York getting to 400,000. I mean, guys, I can honestly see Horry County getting to 600,000 people. I mean, that's crazy for a county of a state the size of South Carolina. But once again, it's got 438 acres of land mass. And if you're a developer, I mean, you can't build a house on top of a house. You can't build a house, you know, in the ocean. You got to build it in on land. And, um, and there's more available land still in Horry County uh, than there is in, in a lot of these other fast-growing um, areas. But what can we do? What can we do to um, increase the likelihood? Because that's just concerning to me. I mean, here you go. Uh, Marion County, 28,000, down 15.25%. Dillon County, 27,000, down 16%. Uh, Marlboro County, 25,000, down, down 10.19%. Edgefield, 25,000, down 6.4%. Fairfield, 20,045, down 16%. Uh, We're just seeing a lot of disproportion here. Uh, Lee County, 15,000, down 18%. Bamberg, 12,000, down 2177. Allendale, 7,325 people in the entire county, down 30% from the prior census. It's a struggle. It's a... um, it's a conundrum, um, shall I say. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 3661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. The Royal Rev of Radio is not with us today. He's down in Florida visiting his mom. Um, he told the story last week about his mom. She's 87. She has some medical issues. Um, I think he wants to spend as much time with her um, just in case. It doesn't go the way they hope it goes. So he um, left sometime Friday afternoon. We'll be back sometime this afternoon and back in the fold with us uh, by tomorrow morning. So it's no shot, Josh, and yours truly. Remember last week, Josh, we touched on this story. I want to get your take on this. You're a much younger and spryer guy than I. But last week we touched on um, this, this story about Tucker Carlson and Building 7. Mm-hmm. And then we were talking about, wow, okay, um, I don't know if you saw this or not, but Twitter fi- Twitter hired a new CEO. Um, conservative world is in an uproar because she comes from NBC News. Bongino condemns Elon Musk. You know, Elon does what Elon does. I mean, you, you know, he owns Twitter. He hires whom he chooses to hire to run um, Twitter. I think very often, um, well, I mean, here's, here's an example. Conspiracy theories don't have any credibility when they're based on just nothing. So when, but if the conspiracy theory is that there, there are no honest brokers at NBC news, that's a pretty shallow conspiracy theory. I mean, I think the NBC newsroom is largely, uh, con- liberal. I, I think it's probably dominated by Ivy league intellectuals. Um, okay. But, but I mean, to, to say that Elon Musk I mean, Bongino said Friday that Musk is making a big mistake by going to NBC News, hiring someone to be CEO of Twitter. Based on what? That she's from NBC News? I just think you got to do better than that. I mean, she may have wanted to leave NBC News because of the homogenous newsrooms and her wanting to get outside and, and, and be liberated. I mean, we don't know any of that. I just think very often we do those things at our own peril, to our detriment. And we lose credibility as 
a conservative, uh, I guess a cottage industry within conservative Inc. called um, Talk Radio. And I get it. I mean, it, it stirs the juices for a day. You know, um, Elon Musk must not really be who we think he is. I don't have any idea who Elon Musk is. I've never professed to have any idea who Elon Musk is. I think he's someone who is very visionary and entrepreneurial. I think he's someone who takes uh, free speech very seriously. But other than that, I don't have any idea what he is. I mean, Elon Musk has never suggested to me in any way, shape, or form that he's an orthodox conservative. I mean, there, there's nothing about him that leads me to believe he's one of us, so to speak. Um, but but I think Bongino and Bongino, and I mean, Bongino didn't rip him, but but he chow. I get, I mean, it's it's a news cycle. You got to come up with something to talk about on uh, on Friday afternoons. But it just, I mean, I, I think you hurt the, the home team when you say those sorts of things. But I want to go back to, to what Pew Research, uh, some of the, uh, some of what I read over the weekend. Pew Research um, had a, I, I, this is not a, it's, I guess it's a poll. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, who wins this election, this candidate or that candidate. But Pew Research um, reported, there you go, they reported that um, a little more than half of the journalists, um, 55%, say that every side does not always deserve equal coverage in the news. So the majority of journalists in America today believe that every side does not deserve, at every turn, equal coverage by the news. Um, 77% of Americans believe they do. So there, there's kind of a, um, there's an at-odds part of this debate. Three-quarters of Americans believe that every side of a story needs to be legitimately covered. 55 or 60% of the media says, you know, every side does not need um, to be covered. So, Josh, here's, here's my question to you. Mm-hmm. Where is that line? I mean, where, where is the line? I mean, do you know the line? I don't know the line. It may be a different line for Josh than it is for me, but I want to go back to what Tucker said. I mean, remember that data point. Remember the analytic I just gave. Mm-hmm. Um, 75% of Americans believe that every side of a news story deserves to be covered fairly. 55% of journalists say, no, it doesn't. So there's a big disconnect there. Um, by overwhelming numbers, the public believes by a, a, a slight margin, excuse me, a slight majority, the journalists believe not. But, but I want to read this verbatim, what Tucker said. And I don't know if Tucker's trying to be provocative or not. I don't have any idea what Tucker believes or doesn't. But Tucker's on a podcast uh, last week talking about his new endeavor with Twitter. And Tucker says, um, and I'll quote it, and I'll try, I love to try to read like Tucker. If you say like what actually happened with Building 7, like that is weird, right? It doesn't like, well, what is that? If you were to say something like that on television, they'd flip out. They would flip out. So you, 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 you lose your job over that. It's an attack on my country. Can I ask? I really don't understand. Do buildings actually collapse? No. Well, maybe they do. I don't know. But, like, why can't I ask questions about that? Should we be allowed to be as conspiratorial as we choose if we have a medium form or platform? That's my question to you, Josh. I mean, should, should there be some uh, some reservement? On, on our ability or our inclinations to be conspiratorial. Because conspiracies are interesting. I mean, you know they are. I mean, when I read this, I'm going like, you know, I knew what Building 7 was. I've read that theory, that there was dynamite or some explosive detonated 
in the bottom. In other words, the planes hit the building, and the buildings, I mean, they're not going to fall because they're structurally sound. I mean, yeah, when a when a 747 full of rocket fuel or jet fuel flies inside of a building, there's enormous explosion. That There's a lot of heat dispersed amongst the um, the beams and the the structural you know well-being of the uh, of the uh, the the building is damaged but does it fall on itself so there's a theory out there i mean it's conspiracy theory mm-hmm. that the buildings were already set to fall um the the planes flying into the side of the building were only part of the story that there were explosives in the basement and in the parking deck that were detonated to you know kind of like a organized implosion i mean you've seen some of these companies they get paid a lot of money to tear this building down uh, it's in the middle of a city don't need to tear all these other buildings down so they detonate all these explosive they strategically locate the explosive but but here's my question josh you're how old 25 so 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 should any conspiracy theory be allowed to find itself into the into the political mainstream and a better question for you josh as a younger buck what is the political mainstream as far as you're concerned? In other words, in, in creating the narrative, wh- what do you consider to be the, the political mainstream? Well, I'll answer your questions in the order you ask them because I think that's relevant. So I think that conspiracy theories should have a place in the mainstream, like you say, because, um, you know, I was about three years old when 9-11 happened, so I don't really remember it. It doesn't impact me as much as other people. Um but like since then, you know, I've heard these theories about it, uh, the the conspiracies about it, and I'm, you know, like I'm open minded to them. I'm not convinced. Why at this are point. you open minded to that conspiracy theory? I mean, are you open minded to the fact that Building Seven may have had an elaborate, um, explosive design that was to accompany or complement the plane flying into the side? Well, I watched a documentary. I can't remember the name of it, um, but it was it showed images of debris that had fallen on other buildings that did not collapse, that looked in way worse condition than Building 7, but they still did not collapse. And Building 7, it did have debris on it, uh, but it looked it did look kind of like an implosion. I, I don't remember seeing, it's been a while since I watched it or watched the footage, but I don't remember seeing like, any obvious explosions, but the conspiracy goes they were trying to conceal it so it wouldn't be like a normal demolition. So what led you there? What what led you down the road of believing it's okay to believe in such a wild and crazy conspiracy theory? I mean, are you liberated about the way you feel with that? I mean, are you comfortable in articulating what you just did? I mean, you didn't do that to be provocative. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of what I do is, but you didn't do that, I don't think. I mean, that, that's something that you're very comfortable in espousing, correct? Oh, yeah. And I think I've I've noticed this about certain conspiracies like 9-11 is there's people like friends of mine, my age, who, you know, also three years old when it happened. They, they don't have strong patriotic feelings about it because they were little kids when it happened. But even they, you know, when I, I when people talk about this, the, the conspiracy theories, they have this like automatic knee jerk, like pain response to it where they're like, you're insane. And I'm like, well, and like, and keep in mind me and my friend in particular, who I'm talking about, we didn't even know about building seven. We only think of the twin towers, you know? Correct. So I tell like, I tell them about, so oh, when a- did you become with the, with the theory 
on Building 7. I mean, when, when did you first hear about the, 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 this crazy idea or notion that there may have been explosives in the basement or parking deck of the World Trade Center? It was the documentary I mentioned earlier. I, um, I can't remember the name of it. it was, did the it documentary present itself as a conspiracy theory? No, not really. Um, it just Do is because that's what you think the documentary should have presented itself as a conspiracy theory? I don't think so. What, what, what I'm trying to get at is, mm-hmm. okay, you you are more, and, and you're, leading to beli- you're leading me, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Sure. You're leading me to believe that your generation is more willing to consider conspiracy theories than mine. My, my generation was, I mean, we were marginalized if we went there. In other words, that there's this mainstream mindset. I mean, it's been established. Those planes flew into those buildings. Those buildings failed because the the jet fuel and the heat and the disbursement, you know what I mean, the weakening of the beams and the structure and all, and it, it kind of just fell upon itself. I mean, that, that's just the way it is, and, 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 you know, don't you dare question. And and my generation become kind of um, willing to accept that as the mainstream narrative, not just the mainstream narrative, but as, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Your generation is less inclined to do that. Is that fair to say? Um, or is your generation any different than my generation in regards to what we think of conspiracy theories and what we, oh, let me ask you this, Josh, I'd be interested in your answer here. Okay. You think conspiracy theories have a place in the debate? I do. Okay. When does the conspiracy theory not have a place at the, at the debate? Well, I think, how do we debunk conspiracy theories? I think no matter what certain conspiracy theories like like for example uh the moon landing that conspiracy theory i can understand the motive behind it as people explain it you know like us faking it to outpace the russians i'm not saying i believe that but i understand the motive when people talk about something like flat earth if the earth truly was flat i don't understand why they're keeping it under wraps like why not just say it you know if that were true so i think that Certain conspiracies, I don't think they should be like ostracized at okay. the federal level. But, but I, I'm, I, this is interesting to me. So you believe that the Earth is flat? No, <laughs> it's not, no, no. Stick with me. Okay, that's nonsense. Yes, I mean, that's a conspiracy theory, but that should be discarded as nonsense. I mean, th- there's enough evidence that there, there's enough principled debate mm-hmm. to to just kind of throw that ball it up, throw it in the trash. I mean, that's nonsense. But but you, I, I, let me ask you this: mm-hmm. You believe we landed on the moon? Yes. Okay, I do too. But you believe it's worthy of considering whether we did or not? You you don't believe because someone doesn't buy that? You think the flat earther should be? You know, you can't come in the room. I mean, we're debating serious things here. You can't come in the room. But you think someone who says we didn't land on the moon, it was to beat the Russians, and it's all you know uh, a theatric production? You believe that person has? Whether he's right or not, you believe there's some legitimacy to that position that should exclude you from ever being a part of any debate ever again. No, I would I would say I think no, and and a, and kind of an example of what I mean is certain conspiracy theories, if they're true, do have an impact on the world. So like flat Earth, let's say flat Earth is true. Well, now what? Who you know? What are we gonna do? Nothing. Like we. So they lied to us. So, about so space? if someone okay, well, believes in the flat Earth theory, should they ever be allowed in the room on anything else? See, I'm of the opinion. Oh, sure. See, I don't. 
I think if you're crazy enough to believe that the earth is flat, mm-hmm. it, ex- it excludes you from any other discourse. Well, I, I, I'm not listening to another damn thing you've got to say. Now, once again, I'm, I'm being Pamplicoinian here for a second. Sure. If you believe, if Josh came in today and said, hey, man, uh, I didn't tell you this on my resume and I didn't tell Baker anything about it, but, but I, I'm one of these guys that believe the earth is flat. Mm-hmm. I would not say a word to you, but I'd go to Baker and I'd say, Baker, we need to find somebody else to do this job, man. <laughs> this, this cat believes the earth is flat. But if you came into me and said, hey, man, uh, I'm going to probably freak you out when I say, but I've got this idea about building seven. And I'm not convinced when those planes flew into the side of that building, that's the reason it collapsed on itself. I believe that there was a, uh, not only a premeditation, you know, on flying the planes in the building, but somebody went in two nights before and rigged explosives on some of these supporting columns and, and structure that held the building up. See, that doesn't exclude you to me. I mean, I, I, get, I don't buy that. I mean, I don't believe it for a second, but it doesn't exclude you from ever being a part of any other potential debate that we have. That there's certain things out there, I believe, and, and, and the point I'm getting at is we're living in an age now where conspiracy theories are more readily considered. I didn't say believed, mm-hmm. but they're more considered. In other words, I find myself debating with a friend of mine, as you do, Josh, and my friend will say, that building didn't fall because of those planes. I mean, 10 years ago, I said, get out of my face with that nonsense, man. Stop with that. But, but I become so cynical and so questioning of the government's motives that they, it's almost like they forced me to begin considering those sorts of things when I really and truly don't. I mean, I want the media. I want to believe when I do this job, I want to believe that, that um, when I read Democrats have gone full weekend at Bernie's by Kylie Griswold of the Federalist, or the war on poverty is over. Rich people won by Ann Lowry, the Atlantic. It's time to create a single Mother's Day. Douglas McKinnon, the Hill. I mean, I, you know, DeSantis, Revolutionary Defense, the classics. Cornell West and Jeremy Tate, Wall Street Journal. I want to believe that those things are genuinely intended. I want to believe that the people who put that down, you know, um, did the due diligence and work necessary to, to, to offer up that opinion. But, but I don't. I just don't anymore. And, and when Tucker left Fox, I read something over the weekend. There went the conspiracy theories. You know, now Fox can reestablish itself as, and I know the left would disagree with this, as more of a mainstream media outlet without the intent to try to intentionally mislead people about this conspiracy or that conspiracy or another conspiracy. I think the majority of Americans would like to dismiss conspiracy theories. I mean, I really and truly do. I think, I think. That, that would probably one thing that I'm thinking about Jeff. You know, Jeff would be um, someone who disagrees with me on a lot of things. I think Jeff and I would probably agree the world's a better place. America's more effectively governed when we can more readily and easily dismiss some of these conspiracy theories. But I believe more conspiracy theories now than I ever have. I'm willing to consider more conspiracy theories now than I ever have. And I think what Tucker Carlson is basically saying is, you know, and I mean, I'm not saying I believe that Building 7 failed because there were people who went in before the planes flew and, you know, um, placed explosives on certain critical structural points of that of that building. But that opinion should be allowed. And it shouldn't be just so readily and easily dismissed or disparaged. That's the point I'm making. And that's the point I think, I think Tucker's making. And when the media says that every side of a story should not be given, you know, credibility. And the public says, yes, it could. I mean, my mind goes to building seven 
And I mean, it is a conspiracy theory. There, there is no doubt it's a conspiracy theory. But shouldn't the media obligate itself to not only questioning? In other words, if I'm a reporter and I hear this conspiracy theory and I say that's nonsense, I'm not even going to look and see if there's any evidence that says that. Are you really a journalist? I mean, shouldn't a journalist say that's crazy as hell? But I have a job to go, you know, find out what really happened. And why not set out to disprove, you know, th- this crazy theory that some people have about Building 7? And I don't, think it, I don't think Tucker has that opinion. I think Tucker's opinion is, surely we should be allowed to ask that. I mean, certainly we could ask that without being ostracized from, uh, from modern society. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. All right. We have Mike calling from Darlington. Mike, you're live. Let's do this, Josh. Uh, I don't, okay, Mike, uh, I couldn't hear you. I hear you now. I'd like to add to that conspiracy theory. Uh, in 1990, I went, uh, my wife wanted to go to see her uh, mother in Atlanta. And I went there, and then while I was there, I just uh, went up and uh, there was a seminar and a question and answer period with Tom Clancy and Dan Brown and a bunch of other uh, tech writers. And uh, Tom Clancy actually mapped out. He said the next terrorist event will probably be uh, they'll put fuel bombs in uh, the Trade Center and uh, and in the Pentagon and uh, the Capitol. And I said, huh? And I said, where are you gonna get the fuel bombs? He said, you got a all you got all these fully fueled transatlantic airliners. Just pick one of those and hijack it and take it right into. Uh, the building, and he did that in, 19, in the summer of 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia, in a public forum. So, and also, I don't believe that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald used a Carcano. He was a trained Marine for three years. He would have used the M1 Garand. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. There's always been conspiracy theories, but it was easy to marginalize conspiracy theorists because you felt the media was doing a fair job and an objective job in trying to get to the bottom of whatever it was they were trying to get to, to the bottom of. And now, what, what, better than half of Americans believe that the media has no interest in, in exploring the truth or for the truth. There is no journey their own to get to the bottom of whatever it is. January 6th. Um, you know, I, I told Josh during the break, the only thing we're not allowed to do is say the fl- earth is flat. I mean, that just, to me, you got to leave here. If you, you know, we're, um, we're, we're not scholarly, we're not academic, but we're not flat earthers, um, either. But, but I want to go back to this. I mean, and once again, I think Tucker is going to begin peddling conspiracy theories and I, I don't have any idea. I, I just think he's going to be, he's going to try and normalize the peddling of conspiracy theories and conspiracy theories down the vine. If journalists and the media are doing their job of vetting stories, sourcing stories, um, getting sources, you know, on the record to say X, Y, or Z, but, but the majority of Americans, well, I mean, not a, a large plurality, maybe not the majority, a large plurality of Americans believe that the, the media is on the take. The media is complicit with the government. 
who's complicit with big business, who's complicit with this organization. I mean, it's the cathedral in essence is what it is. This big monolith, this big um, glacier that moves all as one. And they're so organized now, Josh, they don't have to wink and nod at one another. I mean, CNN doesn't have to send an email to CBS and CBS doesn't have to send a communique to, you know, Jake Tapper. I mean, they, they, they almost know what to do before it happens. I mean, it's the Larry Bird, Magic Johnson media version of basketball. You know, um, you make the no-look pass. The guy's not there, but but some intuition said he will be, and he is. And it's a beautiful basketball play. Well, I think the media has gotten to that point. Y- you and I expect the media to, to shield and run interference for, you know, leftists and their agenda, corporates and their causes, and the conspiracy theory is beginning to really gain some traction now. Um, is it a conspiracy to say that big business is in bed with big media, is in bed with big government? Of course it's not. I mean, I think the bigger conspiracy is to not believe that that's the case. But to what extreme, to what extent are we willing to say um, those sorts of things? Do we believe, I'll give an example of a conspiracy theory. So let's say that Anheuser-Busch made a bad decision on marketing and branding their Bud Light, right? I mean, that, that's a bad call. Uh, they've admitted that they made a bad call. The conspiracy theory is that BlackRock leaned on Anheuser-Busch to move a certain percentage of their high-ranking executives to New York City to better understand this ESG and DEI and, um, you know, the, the social governance, governance complex of, of the private sector in corporate America. I mean, that, you know, I remember 10 years ago, if you'd have told me that, I said, that's crazy. I mean, I can't, show me where that's true. There's no way that BlackRock would insist Anheuser-Busch move a certain percentage of its executive-level decision-makers to New York so they can be closer to the epicenter of social governance and climate change and, and wokeism and political correctness. Well, now the bigger conspiracy theory is to not believe that that's the case. And I think Tucker understands that. I think the reason talk radio has blossomed in the last 20 years is the failure of the media to, to just, you know, tamp conspiracy theories out. I mean, if you hear this conspiracy theory, and I'm not talking about the world is flat. I'm talking about, you know, big businesses in bed with big media is in bed and they're all, you know, and, and their intent is X, Y, or Z. It's not that they're in, in bed with one another. Here's what their intent is. Their intent is to get you from driving an internal combustion engine into an electric vehicle. There's kind of an end game here. Like Josh said earlier, if the, I mean, if the earth is flat, then the damn thing we can do about it, right? I mean, that's just the way. And in Pamplico, we say sometimes it just bees like that. So, so, but, but if the CIA were able to orchestrate the assassination of an American president, I mean, that, that directly affects the America you and I live in. I mean, you know, and I think JFK, I mean, that, of course, that's a, a legitimate conspiracy theory. I mean, you, you, I've watched documentaries about it, and I don't believe one over the other, and I'm not saying I've made my mind up that I think Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone or not, but I think we need to have a very robust debate about what happened um, to JFK. We've got all these files that were forbidden to be made public, and, um, you know, we got all these uh, rumors that there's no way Lee Harvey Oswald could have made that shot you know, on a, on a moving target that quickly and that, you know, from a depository, it's just, just, you know, but, but for a long time, Josh, that, that was taboo. I mean, if somebody my age had had said publicly, Hey, let's talk about the JFK assassination. 
you would have been dismissed. You'd have been discounted. You'd have been almost discarded. And I think now, because we have found that there are so many conspiracies or so many conspiracies that that, that we should consider. And I, I just, I go back to Tucker. I think Tucker is going to make it his life's mission to legitimize as many conspiracy theories as he possibly can. Now, I don't have any idea if Tucker begins his um his Twitter career with um did the CIA kill JFK or not? Did the CIA along with the with the mafia? You know what I mean? Was it a joint hit on an American uh, president? But 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 I I just think the people that believe in those sorts of things now will have far more credibility today than they did in previous periods of um of debate. Eight four three six six one. 0937. Speaking of Tucker, um, that's the one I, I call him dark, dark Tucker when he starts to go into those on um, into that. But but you know the the Twitter venture is going to I mean it could accelerate the displacement of mainstream media. I want to find this other story I read. Um Glenn Greenwald. You know who he is? Um Matt Taibbi. Barry Weiss, Michael um, Schellenberger, Joe Rogan. I, I did read over the weekend where the Blaze really, really recruited Tucker Carlson. I mean, Glenn Beck and the Blaze and that, what is it, Mercury or media, whatever his um his enterprise is, that media conglomerate that Glenn Beck has built. And I mean, that, that would make sense. I mean, if I think Tucker is going to become conspiracy theory expert 101 then why not go to beck's website why not go to work with glenn beck because glenn beck has kind of made a career of being somewhat of an outlier somewhat of a conspiracy um theorist but but you know it's been reported i think the wall street journal actually had a little bit of reporting that glenn beck and tucker carlson spoke several times about tucker eventually joining um beck on the blaze or at the blaze but tucker wanted autonomy he, he wanted independence. He wants to do his own thing. And I think working, I mean, the Blaze will always be known as Glenn Beck's baby. And Tucker doesn't have to work for anybody. I mean, Murdoch is, I mean, Fox is Murdoch's baby and Ailes' baby, so to speak. And I think Tucker wants to be completely and totally liberated from any, not outside influences, because I don't think Beck would have tried to influence, but, but it would appear that Tucker is working, you know, for Beck at the Blaze. And I don't think Tucker uh, bought into that. Uh, but, you know, when you when you think about what what has historically been the media's source of power, um, really the 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 biggest advantage the media's had historically has been um, they were the only place that could offer you access to an audience. Think about it. I mean, whether you like CBS News or not, whether you believe they were on your team or not. You always believed or you knew that they could offer access to an audience. Um, CNN, historically, has been able to offer access to an audience. And, and you kind of had to play ball. I mean, if you're Barry Weiss or Matt Taibbi or Glenn, uh, Glenn Greenwald or Joe Rogan, and you're going to, you know, you're seeking an audience. I mean, before Twitter, where, where do you find that audience? Before the Internet, where do you find that audience? So, so one of the media's most important sources of power yeah, I mean, I guess the media's source of power historically has been their ability to put you in a place where other people see, hear, believe, or don't believe what you're saying or not, and the Internet changed that. 
and Twitter is changing um, that. I, I don't know what the number is today, but I think Tucker's video has had, what, north of a couple of hundred million? I think it's over 100. I don't think it's 200, but I think it's over 100 million views. What new show? I mean, how many uh, Larry Hogan and Chris Christie yesterday, uh, they were basically trying to undermine the Republican process on national television. I don't know if you saw that or not, but on George Stephanopoulos' show, they had Larry Hogan, former Republican governor of Maryland, and Chris Christie, former Republican governor of New Jersey, a couple of other talking heads and pundits from um, the newsroom. And, um, and Hogan and Christie were just consumed by how to stop Trump from winning the primary. And, I mean, they, they were, in essence, having a, a planning session of how to undermine the will of the voter. I mean, it's so interesting to me. I don't think they knew that they were doing it. But Hogan said something, and then Christie said something. And I kept saying to myself, did these guys not know the camera's rolling? I mean, did these guys not know that they're on national television basically explaining how they would undermine the will of the voter if, indeed, they were given an opportunity, basically how to stop Trump is what they're and, – and I'm thinking about as Stephanopoulos, we went there, um, uh, the other never-Trumper. There's another never uh, – darn it. I can't think of his name. Anyway, uh, Carl, George Carl. Is it George Carl? No, he's the coach of the Seattle Supersonics. Uh, anyway, uh, it may be George Carl. His last name is Carl, and he's a journalist at ABC News, and he fills in at times for George Stephanopoulos. And yesterday he was facilitating – some of the uh, conversation, and for a second or two or three, it dawned on me that Larry Hogan and Chris Christie may not realize their own national television explaining how to best undermine the Republican primary and stop the will of the Republican primary voter from electing Donald Trump as the um, the eventual nominee. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. I'm not saying I believe any of these conspiracy theories. I'm not saying I don't believe any of these conspiracy theories. The point I'm trying to make is we live in an era of media now. Historically, the, the mainstream media has been, I mean, their, their source of power has been their ability to provide you access to an audience. Therefore, they're in control. I mean, they're the dominant player in a political discourse for that matter. Not the case anymore. And I think Tucker is ushering in uh, kind of a new era of I don't need a network to access an audience. Rogan proved that. Greenwall has proven that. The Internet, Twitter, um, social media, it's it's a very different dynamic today. And I think there were periods of time the mainstream media did not allow a debate on a conspiracy theory because it's a conspiracy theory. And, you know, the Internet does. Uh, Twitter does. Um, Tucker, I think, kind of, I think the, the mentioning of Building 7 is, is, is convincing me that he believes we need to debate some of these conspiracy theories that have historically been so marginalized that people are almost embarrassed to bring it up. Let's go to the phone. We have Jason calling from Marion. Jason, you're live. Good morning there, Ken. Um, this is a perfect segue for um, what you were just talking about, conspiracy theories and a lot of Trump stuff that's been going on. Um, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to see this clip that was on uh, the PBD podcast where he had D- Dinesh D'Souza on 
and they talked a lot about Trump for the majority of the podcast. And there's like about an eight minute clip that maybe if you ever, if you could see it, you you have a better understanding of what I'm trying to explain here. But basically, Dinesh thinks that DeSantis isn't going to run. And that because there's one and one and two, that it wouldn't make sense for DeSantis to run against Trump, because if he loses, he kind of tarnishes his brand, so to speak. And DeSantis doesn't want to do that. So he believes and he's pretty adamant about it, that he thinks Trump and DeSantis are going to run together. And he also brought up a very interesting thing about Reagan. Um, he said Reagan didn't even know who George Bush was, but. Reagan picked who the top Republican was, or popular Republican, and chose him for a running mate. And I guess Reagan's uh, logic was, you know, if we can get eight years for me and then another eight years for Bush, that would be 16 years, you know, and maybe Trump's kind of figuring the same thing, even though he can only run for four. But if you get a chance, see if you can find that clip and take a listen to it. I'd love to hear your, um, your opine on it. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. I mean, that, that would be my preference. I mean, if I were king of the world, king of the Republican Party, um, if DeSantis would run as Trump's top lieutenant and um, k- kind of carry the banner of or the banner of America first, uh, maybe we could get 12 years of America first policy. Um, you'd have a very active vice president that you know eventually is going to be um, the presidential nominee of the Republican Party. Yeah, but I don't have a big a big problem with that. Um, I'll try to find it, Jason, and um, and listen to what Dinesh has to say so I can give uh, my two cents worth. Let's go to the phone. we got time for a quick call. Let's go there. All right. This is someone I don't know as of yet. Okay. I thought we had another call. Okay. That was one of the um, Tail Ken calls, I guess. Is somebody on the phone, Josh? I'm sorry. We do, we do have someone on the phone. I don't know their name as okay. of yet, but oh. go ahead, sir. This is Sam in Darlington. Uh, I wanted to uh, mention about conspiracy theories. I have a lot of personal uh, experience with that. I am a creationist, and, and but I think a scientific creationist. I've read a, a lot uh, by written by you know PhDs in scientific disciplines about this thing and, uh, and the idea that that uh, well the the, the the uh, we conspiracy theorists, so to speak, on creation, uh, our scientists can prove without a doubt that the mainstream narrative about life arising, you know, spontaneously from inert matter, uh, they have not proved anything near that, and you know, they, this is speculation, and so um, it's frustrating to be called a flat earther when you just. Uh, bring up that there's some really serious scientific problems with the, the usual theory of uh, evolution. But I, I guess that's the way it is. I mean, I, 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 we're going to have to fight a long, hard fight to, uh, to get heard, and, and that's, that's, that's kind of life, I guess. That's all I want to say. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. I think the public becomes better. I think we, we become a more viable people. If we explore every alternative there is, I didn't say you got to believe everything that there is. I'm exchanging text with a listener who's talking about, you know, doesn't believe for a second that there were any explosives in building seven. 
Um, I think that's a very legitimate thought to have and belief to have. But but should we be able to, uh, allowed to ask the question? Um, I wrote a list down. I'll go the next hour and kind of go through this list. Um, what are conspiracy theories that have never been proclaimed conspiracy theories? I'll give you an example. Um, is evolution a conspiracy theory? Is climate change a conspiracy theory? Is believing life doesn't begin at conception a conspiracy theory? I mean, who gets to decide what a conspiracy? I mean, Joe Biden stood on a debate stage and said, we're not burning any more carbon or we're not burning any more fossil fuel to any, any more carbon in 10 years. Is that a conspiracy theory? I mean, I understand that the word conspiracy applies or does it apply to a conspiracy theory. 843-661-0937, back in a few. Okay, let's stay in this vein for a second. Let's talk for just a second about, let's be, uh, it's kind of oxymoronic, let's be reasonable about conspiracy theories. Because, <laughs> I mean, conspiracy theories by nature invoke unreasonableness, right? I mean, when you say he's a conspiracy, he's got this crazy conspiracy theory, man. I mean, he's not a reasonable guy. I mean, you're inferring that. You're not, Josh, you're not saying he's unreasonable, or, but but you're, 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 he's a little bit suspect, man. Um, but because when you think about it, conspiracy theories normally start out of suspicion. I mean, they're born of suspicion. I'll give an example. Uh, yesterday was, was uh, Mother's Day. I mean, that, that's a day we honor moms. It's a bigger day than Father's Day, and it should be. I mean, in all honesty, it should be. As a dad um, who understands the the obligations and responsibilities of motherhood, it's harder to be a mom than it is a dad. I'll accept that. Um, kids go to mothers with things they normally won't go to their, their fathers with. I mean, when they're, when they're emotionally disturbed or distressed or distraught, they go to mom. What, what did we say last week? Um, women are complicated beyond belief. Uh, and I'm not saying that. I'm, not, I'm certainly not trying to be insulting by any stretch of the imagination. I've always said, if you give a dude three or four things going his way, you know, he's good to go. A woman that there's a lot of emotions involved in this, um, raising kids is a very emotional experience. It's emotionally taxing. Um, I'm thinking about the, the three kids that I have. I probably know 50% of their struggles. Their mom probably knows a hundred I mean, in all honesty, and I go back to when I was a kid, I would tell my dad certain things. I would tell my mom everything. I felt my mom had more empathy, more understanding, more patience than my dad. I'm not sure he would did or not, but, um, but I just felt that way. So, you know, we didn't do it as well Friday as we probably should have, but happy Mother's Day to the most complicated group of people in the history of human, humankind and that is mothers, but to uh, one of the most important groups of people the world has ever known, motherhood. So um, happy Mother's Day, a day late to all the moms out there. Um, so we're talking about conspiracy theories. So let's take motherhood. I wrote some words down during the break. It is true that moms love their kids. That's not a conspiracy theory. It's a truth. Um, I trust that moms will always love their children. I like to believe that nothing could ever change that. I hope and pray I never do anything to lose my mom's trust and love. Um, I doubt I could do anything 
that was stopping my mom from loving me. You see where I went? I went from truth to doubt. I mean, I had a, uh, you know, true trust, believe, hope, doubt. All those things mean different things, but incorporated into that single sentence, you, you kind of describe and define and, and, and you know, the, the different degrees of motherhood. Um, on one extreme, it is true that my mom loves me. On the, on the other, I doubt there's anything I could ever do to stop my mom from loving me. Um, go to conspiracy theories because, once again, if you doubt that you could do anything to stop your mom from ever loving you, there's some suspect, there's some, um, uh, a little bit suspicious. Could I, you know, is there, is there something out there? So, so, so even in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the facet of motherhood, something as certain as that, something as discernible and definable and, and existent as a mother's love, we can allow ourselves to be a little bit conspiratorial, right, Josh? I mean, you know, um, once again, it's true that my mom loves me emphatically. I mean, I know that my mom loves me. On the other end, I doubt there's anything I could do to to lose my mom's love. I mean, you see, I mean, it begins. So, so when when you start talking about conspiracy theories, they start off as suspicion. I'll give you the the, the most recent example that I I can't say I know I'm right because who knows if you're right or not. Um, I think what Sam said about creationism, uh, that's such an interesting, um, you make yourself aware, you become educated. Um, but, but the majority of us, our conspiracy theories come from our personal biases. I'm more likely to believe that the government is conspiring because my natural inclination is to not trust government. I mean, I accept that about myself. Um, uh, evidence. Who are the group of conspirators? Uh, what is the alleged plot? Screw that. I mean, I don't need to know it. It's the government. I mean, I'm sure they're, you see where I'm headed. I mean, I, I have this personal bias about government. I don't, I, I just don't believe that government is always doing exactly what it is they're telling you um, they're always doing. So let's use, let's use COVID as an example. Um, I mean, I, I believe that government loves to have control. I believe that bureaucrats and government agencies in, in, in the modern era of American government, anytime they have a chance to acquire more power, more influence, more sway, uh, more say, more can, that they're going to do that. Um, maybe that's my suspicion, and maybe that leads to a conspiracy, but I think history shows in recent time, if you give the government a chance to control, they'll take you up on the offer. Now, if you're a liberal, I'm thinking about some of our liberal listeners, they would probably give government more of the benefit of the doubt. They're not trying to control you. They're trying to protect you. So, so in, in one corner, you got me going, they ain't trying to protect me. They're trying to control me. And in the other corner, you got a liberal who says, they're not trying to control you, man. They're trying to protect you. I mean, we've got this uncertainty in our world called COVID and, and the government. So, so you've got these natural positions that, you know, somebody sympathetic and believing in government somebody who's contrarian and not so trusting of government, we would start off in totally opposite um, corners. So when you add, what, what is the, if you believe the group of conspirators is the government, and I'm talking about, you know, the NIH and the CDC and the, the World Health Organization, and then um, what, what is the plot? What, what, is the, what, what is the plot? Well, the plot is money. I mean, it's always power and money, right? Um, the government has the power to tell you not to go to school, not to open your business, not to do what it is you've um, you've always done. 
but but why would they do that? And and then you've got the money component. And along comes Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson and education gets a windfall as a result of the government printing um, all of this money. So so when when I say that I believe the the COVID response was, you know, not exactly the way it was in in other words, when I Josh, when I say, hey, you know, Josh believes that the government acted in good faith, that the businesses we should applaud are the businesses that invested so heavily in COVID research. And out of that came an mRNA vaccine. And out of that came the saving of human life. I, I understand that. I mean, I, I do. But, but, and I think I can believe that. I think I can be thankful that there are smart people to Johnson and Johnson and Pfizer and Moderna. But it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive of what, what is their motivation to save human life or to make a lot of money? I mean, it could be both. I mean, I think saving human life with the advent of an mRNA vaccine combined with enormous profits and profitability by selling the vaccine to the government agencies and, and you know, them, them forcing you to get vaccinated. And to me, I don't know how you, with a straight face, not accept COVID and consider it a conspiracy. I'm not saying that COVID and the government's response to COVID was a conspiracy, but it has to be considered. And, and, you know, I've read a lot about conspiracy theories. The majority of conspiracy theorists are above average IQ. You know why? Because they don't take things at face value. They don't take you at your word. They're a little bit more curious, a little more intellectual. I'm not saying I'm an intellectual, intellectual by any stretch of the imagination, but, but I do believe that people who think a lot, the busy head syndrome that I talk about, I do think those people are more inclined to say, I don't know if I trust this or not. Um, I, I would argue that, that if you took, let, let's take a list, let's say COVID, the election and climate change. I mean, th- those are three recent examples I wrote down uh, during the break. There are a lot of reasons to believe people conspired in the 2020 election. I mean, the, the, the motivation is clear. What is the plot to stop Trump? I mean, that's, that's the most easily discernible motivation of any conspiracy theory I can think of other than maybe COVID. I mean, COVID would be power and money. Trump is kind of a threat to that power and money structure. The, 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 the cathedral or elitism that wreaks our political system or runs our political system. But, but I think when you look at COVID, I think you've got to be less than average IQ to take everything at face value. The election, I think you got to be less than average IQ to take everything at face value. Climate. I mean, I've read a lot more about climate change and the, um, I mean, Volkswagen. I read something over the weekend about Volkswagen is really, Germany in general are really concerned about electric vehicles or the advent, the, um, the accelerated nature of which Western governments are trying to convince the consumer this is the way um, to go. The, the electric vehicle takes about 30% less labor. I mean, it's a big battery pack on wheels. It doesn't have a lot of, it doesn't have pistons and, and lifters and uh, heads and gaskets. Uh, you see where I'm headed? I mean, it's a lot. It, it's about 30% less labor intensive to build an electric car once we get the assembly lines functional. So, so you're talking about, you know, fewer jobs in Germany. Germany's economy is, I mean, it's not, it's not all about the auto manufacturers, but, but Germans, the, the German economy has depended for a long time on the auto industry. I mean, the Germans have historically built good cars. Um, 
That's a big part of their economy. And, and the Germans are real concerned about the, um, the Chinese cornering of the market and electric vehicles. And they believe, the Germans do, I mean, I, I believe this, I'm not a German, but I believe, as the Germans do, that we're going to be more dependent on China for electric vehicles than we are Russia in the Middle East for the internal combustion engine. Let me say that again. I mean, we're talking about being so dependent on, uh, you know, Saudi oil and Russian oil to, to power the economy. And it's going to be a good thing if we're not as dependent on communist, uh, you know, Russia and uh, the unsettled Middle East, you know, Sharia law ruling a lot of those countries. It's going to be a lot better if we're not dependent, but we're going to depend on China. I mean, we're, we're going to depend on China. I mean, China has, I don't want to say cornered the market, but they've established themselves clearly clearly is the, the technology and, and job creator leader in in that sector of our economy. Can we catch up? I don't know. I mean, I don't run Tesla. I don't know how far down the road Ford is or, or, or GM is. I, I love these folks who say, well, I know the answer to this. No, you don't. There's very few things we know in life. I mean, there are a lot of things we believe. There are a lot of things we trust. There's some things we hope for. There's some things we have doubts about. There's very little in this world that we know to be true. And that goes back to, I know when my mom was alive, she loved me. I know that my wife loves her kids. I think she might love me on, on given days, but I know she loves uh, those children. But, but, you know, other than that, the things we know are very few and far between. I mean, I, I go by, I trust in a lot of these things. I, I believe in some of these things. I have a hope that some of these things are true, but, but I have doubt. And, and I think that's where the conspiracy theory comes in. I doubt if you can trust your government. Therefore, when they say, take the shot, my rabbit ears, I don't know if I want to take that shot or not, man. You mighty, you're, you're trying mighty hard to convince me to take this shot. I mean, you, you're incentivizing, you're incentivizing monetarily for me to take, take this shot. So, so I, I love it when people say, well, I mean, I, we know this to be true. No, I mean, we think this is true. We hope this is true. Um, we believe that we can make this happen. But when you look at COVID, uh, the election, and climate, I, I'm arguing. Now, once again, this is this would be a um, a hypothetical academic exercise that we would never do. But but it's it's interesting to have a conversation about. I think if you asked a hundred people question the motivation of the government related to COVID. I think the smarter ones would say, I, I highly question the government. I have a lot of questions about what the government's intent was. The, the, the 2020 election. I think if you asked a hundred people about the 20, explain your opinion of the 2020 presidential election. I think the smarter ones would say, I mean, yeah, I mean, those, those statistical anomalies in some of those places just don't make a lot of sense. I think if you asked a hundred people about climate change, what do you think? What, what do you think we need to do about you know uh, the the planet warming for the last thirty or forty years? I mean, it hadn't warmed in fifteen years, but the fifteen or twenty or thirty years prior to that, it did warm. Um, I, I think the smarter people would be more conspiratorial. I mean, I really believe that. I think the smarter people in in those questions would say, "Well, I, I, I don't take the narrative. I mean, I don't buy the the company line." so to speak, when it comes to climate, COVID, or, or the election. And uh, once again, that, that, I, I, I believe that to be true. I don't know that to be true. 
some of the smartest guys in the room may say, no, the government did exactly what they should have done. Yeah, well, I mean, we need to stop burning fossil fuel. We need to start all of us driving electric cars. I mean, you know, the smartest people may answer it that way. I don't think they would because I think smart people leave the door open. And I think smart people are always questioning of those who seek more money and more power. And I think when you talk COVID, when you talk the election, when you talk climate, a lot of the motivation was money and power. So you've got a plot, you've got conspirators, and, and you've got some evidence. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. We have Nick calling from Lexington. Nick, you're live. Good morning, fellas. Ken, you have engaged my busy head syndrome. This weekend, I binged uh, a show called Blackbird on Apple Plus. Are you familiar with it? I'm familiar, but I've never watched it. I've had others tell me, hey, man, you need to watch that. So basically, it's based on a true story about them trying to get a guy to get him a, a confession in jail because they had a serial killer who also confessed to crimes he didn't commit. So he was out there. They could prove that he was in a whole different location from murder A that he admitted to but didn't do. You understand what I'm saying? I do. So it put that, and he would confess to crimes. And my point to you is to conflate these two together is I think the flat earth, the moon landing, those conspiracies are are to just make the Epstein and Clinton suicides, all these suicides, look like conspiracy theories. And to marginalize. Exactly. Just I, I just that, watching that this weekend, and you going with that, I go, you know, they give the crazy ones, the real super crazy ones, and then the ones that probably work seem crazy. Well said. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate that. See, guys, and this goes back to remember when, and, and I would, I mean, in, in the weirdest way imaginable, I would be a Teal disciple. I mean, I've read more than you care to know about Peter Teal. Um, and the reason that the central ingredient in Tealism is highly intelligent, and and very contrarian the new york times calls him the scariest smart man in america see i think the only chance america has at redemption is for smart people to begin to be a little bit scary to not accept the status quo i think i think nick makes a an excellent illustration there so if i can get this guy who believes that the government probably killed jerry epstein to say he would give the time of day to the flat earth theory then it, it, it delegitimizes anything he'll ever say. And, and that's what we got to be guarded by. I believe, and this is a bit weird to say, but I'll say it, I think the only chance America has is for us to be more conspiratorial, to believe in some of these theories that we've previously, uh, you know, just, just. Uh, but, but, but once again, guys, let's go back to, to the advantage we've got now that we've never had before. And this goes back to Tucker. Um, historically, We've depended on the media to provide access to an audience. And the only way you can move the meter is to access an audience. I mean, I can stand, uh, Robert Cahaley told me one day about political campaigns, and I've never forgotten it, explained this way. I told Robert, I said, Robert, I think I'm a good enough candidate to win without money. Robert said, okay, big boy, let me explain to you that there's this big stadium. And on one end of the stadium is a guy with all the best ideas. He's a generational candidate. We've never seen anybody as good as him. 
He's great on the campaign trail. He's great at raising money. I mean, he's great at every, but he doesn't have any money. I mean, he, you know, he's, he's, he's a fabulous orator. He's smart as a whip. He can write speeches. He can give speeches. But, but he doesn't have access to an audience because he hasn't raised any money. And on the other end of the stadium is a guy with a megaphone as big around as a 55-gallon drum. And he's not that good a candidate. I mean, he's average. He, he's not that smart. He's average. But he's raised this money that gives him an audience or access to an audience. So on one end of the field, you've got this, 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 this generationally gifted politician with no money and no access to an audience. Nobody hears anything he says. And, and I think the, the Internet, social media is allowing people who historically have not had access to an audience to have access. Tucker Carlson crosses the line at Fox. You know what historically happens to Tucker? He takes his money and goes home. But now Tucker has opportunity. Tucker doesn't own a network. So where does Tucker go once he offends Fox News? He takes his $20 million and goes home. And he lives the rest of his life happily ever after. He lives above average means. He goes on vacations. His kids go to private school. But he doesn't affect the discourse. He doesn't have a seat at the table when these debates are, are have or are being had or, or you know opinions or, or or public opinions being swayed one direction or another. Well, now Tucker leaves Fox News because he crossed the line, questioned too many things Fox didn't want questioned. He became uh, it's kind of a risk reward. Tucker became too risky for the reward they gained. Where, where does Tucker go? He goes now to a place with access to an even larger audience. I don't know about monetizing or not. But, but that, that's the point I'm trying to make, that these conspiracy theories now that got Tucker fired from Fox are going to be heard by an even larger audience, even more people in this digital town hall. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in just a few. What really led me down this road, I read something over the weekend. NBC News, Tom Costello. I just found it during the break. Will anybody be able to police what Tucker Carlson says, or is this the point? It's just a free-for-all. So, I mean, here's what I think has happened. Once again, this is my opinion. I believe that traditional news outlets, the mainstream media, and the audience they serve became disconnected. Um, you look at the trustworthiness amongst mainstream media. Um, the majority of Americans believe now that the media intends to not report the news, but try to convince you what to believe. And when you think there, there are ancillary forces trying to convince you that this is true, you become suspicious. If you've got an above average IQ, if you're dumb and you bite, I mean, if you're stupid, you just kind of believe this person on that television. Here's the greatest mistake you can make. Cause I've went a lot of my life making this mistake. You believe that because someone is a perceived expert, they know what they're doing. They know what they're talking about. They're to be trusted. They're genuinely interested in doing the right thing. I mean, they're wearing a, a nice Brooks Brothers suit and they're on television on Sunday morning. Who am I to question that person? That person needs to be questioned more than anybody on this planet because they're professing to be an expert. It's almost like the, the, the people that we've been trained to trust the most or the people we should trust the least because they're motivated by something other than the truth. And it goes to Fauci. It goes to uh, the Moderna. It goes to Johnson and Johnson and Pfizer. And I'm not saying these are bad people. 
I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not suggesting for a second these are bad people. If you're working in the government and you've been there, let's say Dr. Fauci as an example. So Fauci has been in charge of NIH for a long time, the National Institute of Health for a long time. Um, Fauci, someone said he's not a politician. Only if Fauci learned how to survive in the body politic for as long as he did in our nation's capital, he's very capable politically. I mean, he would have to be. You don't last that long and rise to that height without understanding the way politics are played in our nation's capital. But Fauci walks out on a stage with Trump, and he's got a nice suit. They probably said he's Johns Hopkins educated, and he's got two kids at Johns Hopkins. So, so the majority of Americans say, well, who am I to question him? I mean, that, that's exactly the guy that needs to be leading us um, you know, through this pandemic. He needs to call all the shots. Uh, obviously, Trump will defer to him because Trump's not a virologist. Trump's not an infectious disease expert. But, but, but you, if, if you're naturally suspicious of government, you, you should automatically say, uh, I'm a question about everything he says. But the media didn't. The media never challenged Fauci. The media never challenges anybody that says, I mean, imagine if, if, if we had a real honest media and the Democrat nominee for president said on a debate stage, we're not going to emit any more carbon in 10 years. I mean, the moderator of that debate should have stopped in their tracks and said, um, you know, Vice President Biden, because he was running for president. Vice President Biden, you just said that America will not emit any carbon because it's not going to burn any fossil fuel in 10 years. Would you, do you stand by that comment? But, but the media believes it. It's, it because once again, the, 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 the people who say that this is crazy, we've been labeled conspiracy theorists. Because the media doesn't have any interest in reporting what the truth is. The truth is there's no way that we'll be zero carbon emitters in 10 years. Zero chance. I mean, I've got these words, truth, trust, believe, hope, doubt. I, it is true that America will be burning fossil fuel in 10 years. I trust that renewable energy will be a higher percentage of our energy intake. And, and you know, we'll, we'll probably be emitting a little less CO2 10 years from now. Um, I believe the people that say we're not going to burn any fossil fuel in 10 years are dangerous. I mean, I think they are some of the most dangerous people on this planet. But, but once again, the media has decided to not be interested in the truth, but rather advancing a political agenda. And those of us who believe we've decided, and I don't know what percentage of Americans, I mean, I know that I've decided that when someone on television speaks into a microphone and camera, they're not telling me the truth. They're motivated by something other than the truth. CNBC, CBS, ABC, uh, Bloomberg, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post. I have decided on my own volition that when I read something in the Wall Street Journal, when I watch something on CNN, when I listen to something on, on Bloomberg, I'm making the assumption that they are involved in some sort of conspiracy. Now, at times, it's a conspiracy that benefits humanity. At times, it's a conspiracy theory that I think is detrimental uh, to, to the standing of humanity. But, but I think, and it goes back to Tucker. When, when Tucker gets kicked off Fox News, I mean, you can say fired, separated, went there separate, well, I mean, whatever, whatever. Tucker's not on Fox any longer. Their biggest star 
is no longer on the biggest network in cable news. I mean, that's a pretty big deal when you think about it. The biggest cable news network in America no longer has its biggest star. And I think you've got to ask, why? I mean, what happened there? Now, now some will say Tucker lied. You know, Tucker misrepresented the facts of January 6th. Tucker misrepresented the facts of the 2020 election. Did he? I mean, did he? I mean, how many debates have we had about January 6th? How many debates have we honestly had about um, the 2020 presidential election? I mean, I've done this for 11 or 12 years. I read um, 30, 40, 45 news stories a day. I've never read a serious uh, essay on January 6th. I've never read a serious accounting of the 2020 presidential election, except from William Doyle and Real Clear Politics, that Real Clear analytic that he did about statistical anomalies. He doesn't say he knows what happens. But he says the truth is a much higher percentage of Democrats voted in these precincts where Mark Zuckerberg spent money. I mean, that We know that to be true. But, but is that a conspiracy theory? To me, the bigger conspiracy theory is to believe that, you know, Democrats just decided to vote at higher percentages and the Zuckerberg money had nothing to do with it. I mean, that, that, you see where I'm headed? I mean, the, the, the truth is, I mean, the, the undeniable truth of the 2020 election is that in, in heavily Democrat precincts, in swing states, they voted at a much higher percentage. We know that to be true. We also know that in about 80% of those precincts, there was substantial money spent by Mark Zuckerberg in the private financing of elections. Now, th- those are two established truths. We know that to be true. Josh, here's where I believe I believe the money impacted the election, but, but I don't know that to be true. I mean, I, I don't have any proof of that, but, but I've been told, or excuse me, people that believe what I believe, and the reason I believe what I believe is based on those two truths. It is true that Democrats voted it at a higher percentage. It is true that Zuckerberg spent money in those precincts where Democrats voted at a higher percentage. That's the only things I know to be true. But, but, but if a journalist knows those two things to be true, doesn't, don't they have an obligation? Don't they have an obligation to pursue where that leads them? But, but instead, they spent all of their money, effort, time, energy labeling people like me conspiracy theorists. There is no evidence that the 2020 presidential election was stolen. How many times have you heard that? Hundreds. How many times have I heard that? Hundreds. That, well, I mean, okay, that there is no evidence. There's evidence that Democrats overvoted in precincts that Zuckerberg's money was spent. Doesn't that, I mean, if you're, if you're an honest journalist, if you're somebody honestly trying to get to the truth, don't you have an obligation to pursue that wherever it leads you? But, but the media didn't do that. I mean, the media's never pursued that. I mean, the media's basically said, well, the Trump lawyers, you know, they filed these challenges. The courts decided, you know, that, um, that they didn't have standing or there weren't enough evidence or, you know, the Trump uh, legal team did a lousy job in preparing the case. But, but, but the, you know, a lot of Americans believe that I'm a conspiracy theorist because I ask these questions. The bigger conspiracy theory is to believe the Zuckerberg money had nothing to do with the 2020 presidential election, right? I mean, he spent $435 million. And a lot of people say, well, that had nothing to do with the election. Trump lost because he offended so many people. That may be true. But but once again, if the media were doing its job, 
we wouldn't have as many conspiracy theorists running around the country now. And I, want, I for one, am a, um, I mean, it, it was it was kind of lonely being a warrior, you know, be, being kind of, I don't want to say a truth warrior, because once again, I don't know what's true, but, but I know that we've never been in pursuit of the truth. And that's why there are more and more and more and more conspiracy theorists amongst us. 843-661-0937. Let's take a break. We'll be back. In just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. We have Bert calling from Florence. Bert, you're live. Hey, now, speaking of all these uh, things that the the news doesn't check into, you've got so-called experts on the other side who are saying that, you know, all these years they denied putting aluminum in the air, these... uh, jet streams now they know they know without any doubt that the aluminum is way higher than it used to be they know they're doing it and they say that it's to block out the sun okay who gives that little group of of climate alarmists the right to block out the sun for everyone and the experts on the carbon say we are at a dangerously low level of carbon it's not that it's too high it's that it's so low that it's endangering our plant life. Our plant life dies if it gets any lower, and therefore we die. So we have the left in their efforts to, what they say, save us, literally about to murder us. And you don't ever hear that on the news. All you hear that on is, is smaller right-wing outlets. So, you know, how's a person supposed to be at peace either way? Because the left says... Oh, the right's trying to kill us, and the right says, "Oh, the left's trying to kill us," and it's just an endless battle while they march us straight into communism without anybody raising a hand. Thank you, Bert. Appreciate it. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. We all have these th- these degrees of sensitivity. I mean, th- th- there are things that matter more to me than matter more to you. There are things that concern you or alarm you more than they concern, or I feel like Glenn Beck. I mean, I really and truly feel like Glenn Beck for the past uh, couple of hours because historically I've accused Beck of going overboard with conspiracy after conspiracy after conspiracy. But but when you really look at what, I mean, and, and maybe my uh, maybe I, my, my road to Damascus moment was was Tucker leaving Fox. And and when the, when, when the biggest political media organization – in America, on cable, I'm talking about uh, you know the the Fo- Fox News is the 800 pound gorilla in political punditry, and when they get rid of their biggest star, you ask why? I mean, you do because because everybody loves money, everybody loves uh, ratings, especially in the business we're in. I mean, we're in the radio business; they'd been in television, so ratings and revenue drive the train. Um, and you're willing to look past a lot of uh, misgivings or, or shortcomings. If your if your ratings and your revenue say now I understand Tucker got dinged re- revenue wise I mean I understand some of the boycotting because once again um, he trafficked in conspiracy theories and some of these um, some of these corporations don't want to be associated with someone who go down the road of uh, what I'm trying to do guys this morning and I guess to some degree every morning is normalize conspiracy theories when i when i go on the air and say that if i don't do anything anything else i want to convince you to be skeptical of your government 
I mean, in essence, I'm saying I want you to at least consider some of these conspiracy theories. I don't, I don't want you to take the media at its word. I don't want you to take the government at its word. I don't want you to take uh, Fauci at his word. I don't want you to take Trump at his word or DeSantis at its word. I think we owe ourselves a little deeper dive than that. And I think the reason that the majority of Americans are becoming more considerate, I didn't say believing, more considerate of conspiracy theories is not we're becoming whacked out. I mean, we're not getting crazier by the moment or crazier by the day. I mean, the left will try to convince you that, you know, the, the radical right. I mean, that, that's the problem in America, the radical right. I mean, they say they, you know, they want to conserve these things at work. They don't want to conserve anything. They want to blow everything up. Um, I think the radical right, uh, you know, the, the, the pillars, the foundations of the new right. I don't want to say alt right. I don't want to say radical right. The new right one of the foundational pillars that I think the movement is built on is this skepticism of government, skepticism of power, skepticism of influence. Um, you know, the COVID vaccine, climate change, the 2020 election. I mean, historically deniers and skeptics. Some of these these words with negative connotations have been what they've used to describe uh, the proclivities of people like me. And I think it's becoming more and more and more mainstream. And that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. We'll be back in a few. 843-661-0937. One of the central ingredients of this debate, stick with me for just a second, Josh. I don't think that I could ever convince elected officials to do what needs to be done to salvage the country. I mean, when it comes to debt, when it comes to trade, when it comes, I mean, I, in, in other words, I believe that's a lost cause. I, I just believe that, okay, I'm going to concentrate and, and I'm going to try to talk everybody in the media to concentrate with me because I know best with me on what we need to do about immigration, what we need to do about trade, what we need to do about debt. I mean, I, I just, I, I accept that there are much larger forces at play and I'm completely and totally outmatched. I mean, I, I just, I can't match what BlackRock and Vanguard and, you know, corporate America has done to our political system. I can't, uh, I can't stop politicians, incompetent politicians from winning elections in gerrymandered districts. I mean, I can't stop that. Liberals can't stop it. Conservatives. What, what I can do is influence the mind of the voter. I mean, I, I'm not going to be able to block, 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 disassemble the American political system and recreate it in a, in a fairer and, and, and more favorable fashion to the American, here I am on my campaign speech, the American worker, the American family, the American way of life. I mean, my interpretation of that is one thing, your interpretation of the American worker, the American family, the American way. I mean, that's bumper sticker stuff. I mean, that's, that's for a guy running for office. Give me the chance to go to Congress. And I'll do everything in my power to enhance the American worker, the American, uh, the American family, the American. I mean, I, I can't do that. I mean, I can I can get on the air for four hours every day, and and I can gripe and complain about immigration policy and trade policy and our stance on China and our fiat currency and our uncontrollable debt and our our lack of fiscal restraint. Um, it, it it's interesting. I think I can sell a few talking points here and there and yonder. But, but the one thing I think we can do as a nation, and, and I'm talking about some of the outlying media, because we have an audience. Tucker has a much bigger audience. Glenn Greenwald has an audience. Glenn Beck has an audience. Limbaugh ha- had an audience. I, I think the one thing we can do is condition the American electorate to be unbelievably skeptical 
of the motivations of its federal government, and that includes conspiracy theories. That includes encouraging listeners to be a little more conspiratorial than you're uh, normally accustomed to. So, so, so that's kind of my my strategy. I settled on that five or six years ago. I mean, you know, I'd have a story about immigration, and it would be cookie cutter. I mean, it, it's true. I mean, I, I would agree with ninety percent of what was written in the in the Wall Street Journal article about immigration. But I, but I would just kind of like, there's nothing I can do about that. I mean, it, w- what am I going to do to convince the federal government to do a better job of securing the border? I mean, there's so many other interests in play there. But but the only thing I think we can do, those of us who do what I do, is convince you, the voter, we, the people, to be unbelievably skeptical of what motivates your government to do what it is it chooses to do. And that's not liberal. That's not conservative. I mean, the weirdest way imaginable, Bernie Sanders does that. Robert Kennedy's doing that. Um, Ross Perot did that many, 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 many years ago. Pat Buchanan did that. Of course, Donald Trump did it on steroids. But, but in essence, that's my motivation. I mean, if I had to get up every morning and do a four-hour radio show on convincing members of Congress why this immigration's policy better than that, I'd, I'd go I'd go work in the steel mill. I mean, I'd find me something else to do because that would be the most unrewarding journey a man could be on. But I think waking up every day, engaging uh, however many thousands of people listening to us every morning and, and trying to convince them, hey, here's why you should be skeptical. Here's why you should be contrarian. Here's why you might have to even drift off into conspiracy theory land. I think that is attainable and achievable. And at the end of the day, a successful and worthy endeavor. Is somebody on the phone? Yes, there is. It's David from the PD. David, you're live. Hey, good morning, Ken. Uh, I was driving down TV Road the other day, and I saw the Goodyear blimp. And I said to myself, uh-oh, it might be the Chinese knockoff spy blimp in a way. And I say that jokingly, but would it be a conspiracy theory for Chinese to have spy balloons? Uh, well, yes, they do. So that's not a conspiracy theory. And I was thinking about, uh, you know, Darlington, what did they call it, Ken, the throwback weekend? Throwback weekend, they did. Throwback weekend, man. I was looking at these paint schemes and sponsors and this and that, and I thought back in the day, I was thinking about our man Rusty. Rusty used to drive a car sponsored by Meade. And Meade was was uh, headquartered in Dayton, Ohio. I think somewhere along the line, through all these different mergers and this and that, they're part of what they call West Rock. I think we've got a factory here in town, uh, West Rock. Think about old Jeff Gordon, uh, DuPont. That was his sponsor. DuPont used to be here in uh, Florence. Uh, my man Earnhardt, uh, Wrangler Jeans, uh, Walter Russ. I mean. Ricky Rudd, they they were part of Tide Detergent. Uh, you remember Sterling Marlin? I mean, Kodak, uh, Levante, Kellogg's. These are all American companies that had manufacturing within this country. I don't even really pay attention. I can't halfway see anymore, but I don't know. You probably saw some of the sponsors, but um, think about how that contrasts with what I'm talking about. But, Ken, I, I'm going to give you credit on your podcast the other day because I think about, you know, Josh brought up some good points. You know, you're looking at Josh, for example, he was a little kid uh, during 9-11. I'm thinking a lot of these voters, 
they were 14 through 17 in 2020 going to be voting in 2024. Imagine their lens on life. And what we talked about the other week was, you know, more than half of the voters are female. But if you break the female vote down, I would say half of the females are either well, they're unmarried within different demographics within that. Uh, that was not true, I guess, you know, 30 years ago. But you have to look into the mind and the lens on life of these folks and see what they've seen. And when Trump goes out there and brings that message he had the other night, and we go to these 12 counties and these swing states, you have to apply, you know, how does that work with them? Because the way this thing is set up, and I'll leave it to this, there's really, you, you break it down to about 12 counties in these swing states. So have a good day, my man. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937 is our number. So, Josh, are, are you a conspiracy theorist? I'd say a diet one or a conspiracy theorist light. Okay, well, explain. I mean, expound upon that. I mean, when you hear me say that, you know, in, instead of – because because I, I got to believe that your interpretation of conservative talk radio is a guy that gets on the air who understands the nature of politics, the business of politics, who studies enough about the issues – to give a, you know, uh, an understandable and discernible opinion. Maybe you don't agree with all of it. Maybe, maybe you do. Um, but, but what do you, what do you make of what, when I say I am far less interested in convincing you this is the best immigration policy than I am convincing you that your government is not to be trusted? I mean, is that discouraging, encouraging? I mean, what, what does somebody much younger than I make of someone? I mean, I, I, here's where I've landed, Josh, and I'd love to get your take on this. So, so I'll be 60 this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's more water that is run under the bridge than, than there is yet to run under the bridge. There's more in the rear view mirror than there is uh, looking at the, in the windshield. And, um, and, and, and you learn a lot in, in those events and experiences. It's not that you're any uh, brighter. I tell young people all the, all the time, you're probably smarter than I am, but you hadn't plowed as many rows as I have. You hadn't done as much and learned uh, some of these things that, that I've learned but when you take a job as a producer uh, on a conservative radio show and the host says, look, I'm not as committed to changing your mind about immigration or trade or China as I am making you less trusting of your federal government. Well, what do you make of that? I, I, I understand it. You know, I mean, I think. Do you, you perceive know, it to be radical? I, I wouldn't. I would say no. Um, I, I think you asked me a question a couple segments ago about, did I think my generation was more accepting of conspiracy theories? And I think my answer to that would be that it's 50, 50. And that's because I think even you would agree that politics nowadays has become way more, uh, radical than it was before where, you know, 10 years ago, someone like Bill Maher was the boogeyman to a Christian conservative. He's this bully atheist. He's this bully liberal. And now he's like, like I see videos of him on conservative media, like positive ones where he's going against liberalism. He's going against wokeism and political yes. correctness and uh, the trans movement. Exactly. So I think things have gotten so polarized now that the the faction of my generation that uh, is more liberal, I would say is absolutely less accepting of conspiracy theories than a liberal person from your generation. 
but uh, the conservative people from faction of my generation would probably be more open to it. So I think that would be the answer to that question. And the reason I bring that up is because I think to answer the question of what's more important, talking about immigration or mistrusting the government, it depends on is the government trustworthy? And like, so if, if the conspiracy theories in question that we're not allowed to discuss is can the CIA get away with killing a sitting president? That to me is definitely something worth talking about more than illegals crossing the border. Though I do think it is a very important issue. Okay, stay there for a second. I want to get your take on this. So at the beginning, in the beginning, there were when I remember the first time I heard Jeffrey Epstein's name, and it was associated with, um, you know, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. I mean, I'd heard the name. I mean, I'd heard of there's this rich guy. He runs in wealthy circles. He lives this lavish lifestyle. He um he kind of runs with the the rich and famous, and and then you get a little more specific. Okay, the prince was there, Bill Clinton was there, and Donald Trump was there. And see, see, Josh, I believe that this is the the one issue. It's hard for Republicans and Democrats to disagree here. It's hard for liberals and conservatives to disagree here. I think, I mean, I'm thinking of Jeff, Jeff, just a guy, you know, I talk a lot about because Jeff calls in the show and antagonizes me and antagonizes uh, him counter. But, but, but I, I think Jeff would agree. I mean, I don't know if it words in his mouth, but I think Jeff would agree that there, there are a lot of things. And I'm using Epstein as it, cause that's, that would be a recent example. I mean, that, that would be a conspiracy theory to believe the government had Jeffrey Epstein killed. But that's the one issue that's not motivated by partisanship. I mean, the immigration issue has a, I mean, there are open border Democrats, that there are isolationist Republicans. Somewhere between there is me and the majority of Americans. I mean, I'm not an isolationist Republican. I don't want to build a wall around America and tell everybody to stay out except native-born Americans. I mean, I I accept that we uh, are a... um, a beacon of hope around the world, and we welcome and embrace diversity and complexity of ethnicity and race. And I mean, I accept all that. I mean, I buy into that to some degree. I mean, I don't know that I buy into it like the liberal Democrat does, but I buy in uh, to, to some of that. But but those are political debates. Taxes. I mean, you know, historically, Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives. That's kind of been one of the um one of the focal points of campaigns and elections. You believe the the highest marginal tax rate should be 42%. I believe it should be 28%. And we kind of go from there. And, you know, out of that comes compromising legislation. And, you know, the, the, when, when, the, when the Republicans are in charge, the highest marginal rate is a little bit less than when Democrats are in charge. But, but I, I think people believe now, and I can't speak for everybody, but people in my world believe, okay, those are important debates and those are policy questions. I mean, you know, we're always going to have a debate about what the marginal tax rate should be. How many immigrants should we allow into the country? Uh, You know, climate change would be kind of a newfound phenomenon that we're debating. And I'm not opposed to renewable energy. I mean, I've said that over and over again. I'm not opposed to clean energy. Um, I I would probably rather not depend on Saudi Arabia for, you know, the high percentage of our oil. Probably rather not depend on China for the majority of our electric vehicle components. But it looks to me like we're changing loyalties from one 
you know, country to another, instead of depending on Middle East for oil, we're going to depend on China for the mineral resources. Uh, but but th- th- those are political debates. Um, five people in a room somewhat versed in politics are going to have five different opinions. Pragmatic Republican, uh, moderate Republican, conservative Republican, liberal Democrat, pragmatic Democrat. Um, centrist Democrat. I mean, all those would go into the um, the decision making of what exactly the country needs to do policy wise relating to immigration, policy wise re- relating to trade. But but I think those questions and 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 concerns are secondary to whether the government is to be trusted or not. I mean, if if we substantiate that the government is not to be trusted, because once again, and it goes back to the question I asked Drew McKissick. Uh, a couple of couple of Thursdays ago when I asked Drew, and I, I did it very intentionally, I said, Drew, why does a political party exist? I mean, in a representative republic, if a political party doesn't exist to reflect the, you know, the desires of the public, then, you know, get rid of that political party. In, in essence, I mean, it goes back to my Mitch McConnell analogy. If McConnell has a popularity rate or popularity rating a 14% amongst Americans, 21 or 2% amongst registered Republicans. How is he leading the Republican Party? Explain that disconnect. Well, I mean, you know as well as I do. McConnell's gained a lot of favor with corporations. He's gained a lot of favor with elites. He's gained a lot of favor with the ruling class. And, and when I asked Drew McKissick the question, so if a political party exists to serve the interests of the voters, then how can McConnell be a minority leader. I mean, you can't put that square peg in a round hole unless you're conning the voters. So, 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 I, and, and once again, immigration's important, trade's important, China's important, the electric vehicle's important, uh, the climate's important, COVID's important. I'm not, I'm not diminishing the significance of those issues and government's relevant role in trying to help us, you know, sort out what it needs to do or does not. But, but I think if you really back up and look at all of those issues. You've got to look at them through the lens of the government can be trusted to do right by the people or the government can't be trusted to do right by the American people. And, and I think historically, when you look through the lens of the government can't be trusted to do right by the American people, that mindset was marginalized. I mean, it was, it was, it was you were painted as somewhat of a conspiracy theorist. Uh, you know, he, he probably believes Jeffrey Epstein uh, you know, was killed by some government agency or not. He, he probably believes that, you know, uh, China corners the market. You see where I'm headed. And, 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 it, and, it, and, and th- there's always been an organized attempt to diminish those. And, and I understand it. I mean, if, if you're an elite, if you're a member of the ruling class, if you're a self-appointed master of the universe, that there's a great deal to lose if the American people begin understanding the game that the power brokers have pay, played to attain control and influence over over our government. If the government had very little influence over our lives, it, that's not that big a deal. But but we've landed in a place where the government has enormous influence, enormous ability to affect our lives, enormous ability to affect our our, our incomes, our, our our going to church or not, our running our business or not. And I think when 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 you know when it goes back to the equal to opposite force, uh, Dr. Bolton and I talked last Tuesday about when you really think about it, you had the the, the, the pre-Civil War debate of Jeffersonian and Hamiltonian, limited government, big government. 
And after the Civil War, you had Roosevelt's New Deal, LBJ's Great Society, civil rights legislation. There's never been since the Civil War that I can think, maybe Reagan. I mean, the Reagan Revolution would have probably been questioning government's authority in nature. I mean, that, that you could probably say, hey, what, what did Reagan do? Reagan convinced people to be skeptical of government. I mean, that, that was, I mean, it, he didn't say that because it was conservatism. It was limited government. It was lower taxes. It was empowering uh, the private sector. But, but uh, you know, when you say that your focus is not trusting the government, people believe, well, he doesn't care about immigration. He doesn't care about trade. He didn't care. I care greatly about those. But I think for us to get to a better place as a nation, we have to restore a vigorous trust in those who are making decisions on behalf of the American people and what their motivations are on immigration. Is America, I'll give you an example, I know we've got to take a break, is the immigration policy in America today affected or influenced by corporate America? Of course it is. Absolutely it is. It doesn't have the general interests or the interests of the general public at heart. And we've got to establish that first. And, and I think, you know, conspiracy theories are a part of that. Tucker Carlson is a part of that. Talk radio is a part of that. Uh, an open-minded, fair-minded, and, and both-sidedness journalist is a part of that. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Finally got awake on a Monday morning. Our audience is kind of waking up with us on a Monday morning. 843-661-0937 is our number and when you're talking about policy or conspiracy theories, and I don't know, I mean, it's kind of a weird convergence. I mean, it really and truly is. Should conspiracy theories be a part of determining what policy we should adopt or adapt? Here's, I made a note during the break, Josh. Um, my fundamental question, who holds power in our society? I mean, it, p- people ask about Russia and Ukraine and, you know, whether we should be that involved or more involved and, you know, about China and Taiwan and should we, I, I can't answer that. I mean, I really and truly can't. There are degrees of certainty in all of our lives. The truth is one thing. Um, doubt is another. Somewhere in between, you've got believe and hope and uh, persuade. I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, emotion our emotions involved in what we believe and what we expect to be true and what we hope to be true and what we have doubts about. But but when somebody asks me about Ukraine and Russia, I mean, I, I can't answer that. I mean, I, th- th- there is no conceive. I know what I've read. Uh, I know what my instinct says, but I don't live in Russia. I don't live in Ukraine. I don't understand uh, the, the historical geography or the, the some of the legacy politics. I do to a certain degree. I mean, I, you know, I'm not worldly, but but I'm somewhat informed, and I do understand the geopolitics. I understand the cultural aspects of that, but but not to the degree that people who need to make determinations about what happens in Ukraine and Russia, Taiwan and China. Um, but but I do understand America. I mean, I, I'm, I'm an American. I understand our culture. I understand our society. I understand our way of life. I understand I have opinions, but, but, but I, my opinions are based on a knowledge, a certain intimate knowledge of the country I live in. I have a lot more understanding of the American way of life than I do Ukrainian or Russian or, or Taiwanese or Chinese. 
everything I, every opinion I form about those sorts of things is subjective. I mean, it's, it's, it's what somebody wrote about Russia and Ukraine. Are they honest brokers? I don't know. I don't have any idea, but I've not had to depend on a journalist to tell me about the American experience, the American way of life. I've lived nearly 60 years in the muck of it, in the middle of it. I have a, a very intimate understanding of that. Once again, I have a lot of opinions. People have a lot of other opinions. But my fundamental question is, who holds the power in our society and why? I mean, do, do the right people have the right proportion of power? Or do we, the people, lack in you know, the, the ability to persuade politicians or corporatists or um, you know, uh, influential people in general? to do X, Y, or Z, or is it too heavily balanced to a certain percentage of our country? And, and I think that is a, that, that's a perpetual endeavor that never ends. You're, you're always after a better way, a better system, uh, better results, optimal um, opportunities for whomever is deserving of those opportunities. But, but, but that, that, that's, I mean, that, when, when you start going at conspiracy theories, I think they're born of, I think a lot of conspiracy theories are born of, why does this person have that much power and this one doesn't when it appears this one should have more power than that one does? Does that make sense? Why does Larry Fink, who runs BlackRock, I'm picking on Larry Fink for a second, but why does Larry Fink, nobody's ever voted for Larry Fink. Why does Larry Fink deserve to have that much influence on the nation I call home? I mean, that, that, you know, that, that's speaking truth to power. Now, I can't, I can't convince BlackRock who to hire as their CEO, and I'm not saying he's a bad CEO. But I think it's very fair to ask questions about the CEO of BlackRock, the motivation of BlackRock, the, 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 the relationship between BlackRock and because we're talking about power. Who deserves to have power in America and, and why? That, that, that should be a, a question we all ponder every day we wake up. Let's go to the phone. We have Terry and Sherrod. Terry, you're live. Hey, Ken, it's Barry, but it's all good. Oh. Hey, hey, Ken, I'm glad you're going down this road. I mean, I really, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing it to mainstream uh, radio uh, because it's very important that we, the people, question everything the government does. How many times have we been told by the government something is this, but it's actually not? Uh, the Gulf War, right? That's a prime example. I mean, everybody needs to just go off of that one. We went to war because of weapons of mass destruction, and nothing was found. I believed that in the military for 15 years until I really just stepped back and opened my eyes. And it was like, all my friends died, you know, because we went off of a lie of the federal government to go to war over oil. So we have to continue going down this path. And like you said, Tucker, I'm an Alex Jones guy. Um, there are, everybody seems like they're waking up. And, and, and it's very important because if we don't wake up now, I, I just think we're done. So if, if, you, if you're listening to, to Ken today and you don't believe in conspiracy theories, please just open your mind to, to really going down the rabbit hole and, and you will – be enlightened by what you what you find out. Like, Ken, a prime example. I think uh, I, somebody called earlier. I can't remember who called. 
about the chemtrails. Do you do you ever in your life see a just a crystal blue day anymore? Like just just think about it, Ken. You're at the beach. How many days do you just get crystal blue days? Can you can you tell me? Ah, I, I mean, I, I don't pay attention to that. I mean, I probably okay. should more than I, I do, but I mean, okay. Saturday was really, really nice. Okay, Saturday was. Today's supposed to be sunny, maybe partly cloudy. What do I see in the sky? I see chemtrails already starting up. So most likely by 4 o'clock, it'll be cloudy all the way across, and you can believe in them if you don't, if you believe in it and if you don't believe in it. But pay attention to these conspiracy theories. Pay attention to them. Then you'll start noticing, and then when they do happen or it does come out, you're like, oh, right, that crazy guy that told us five years ago, he's actually right. So I appreciate you, Ken. Just keep bringing it up, man. Keep keep doing it. Like you said, we don't have any effect. I can call Congress every day. I can call Graham every day. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. But if we open our mind and we the people start listening, start, start opening our mind to everything, then maybe we can take this country back. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Barry. Appreciate it. I think government officials, just like private sector employees, just like mothers and fathers, I mean, everybody has a right to be wrong. I mean, I've gotten a lot of things right in my life. I've gotten a lot of things wrong in my life. Nobody has a right to fundamentally mislead. Nobody does, especially those who have amassed enormous power in our society. We have to hold those people to a higher standard. Um, I don't think, I mean, I'm trying to think about it. I don't think I've ever come on this air and intentionally misled anybody. I've been wrong a lot. I've misled, no doubt. But I don't think I've ever, I mean, it, when I accept the responsibility uh, of being behind this microphone and having a medium or forum, I, I've got to take that seriously. So, so when I speak to an audience, I, I'm, I know I'm wrong sometimes. I know I'm um, misleading at times. But, but I've never intentionally misled anybody about anything. And, and I think one of the most important questions you can ask yourself as an American today, how much power does that person have in our society and how they get it? And why do they deserve it? That, that, that's really and truly. And, and, and once again, you can be wrong about that person. I mean, I could be dead wrong about Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock. But, but, but Larry Fink can't be fundamentally dishonest. The government can't be fundamentally dishonest. When people have a mass power in a representative republic, along with that comes a responsibility. And I think we, the people, are responsible of holding those people accountable. And that's why I made my mind up years. And, and I'm not some rampant conspiracy theorist, guys. I mean, you've listened to me long enough to know I'm a reasonable dude. I mean, Josh, you've known me for several weeks. I mean, you, you would agree, I'm a reasonable dude. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty pragmatic. I'm not fringy about much of anything. But I don't think that the pronouncement of you better be skeptical of your government is fringy at all. I mean, I think that's very mainstream. And I think it needs to be, I mean, I need to remind people every day to, to question what the motivations of your government are. I don't know what they are. I don't have any idea what's motivating the federal government to do what they're doing about climate to do what they're doing about COVID, to do what they're doing about taxes, to do what they're doing about immigration. But but I think we, I mean, if, if this system of government is going to work, the people must be empowered. And for the people to be empowered, they must be somewhat informed. And I think part of the information people need to be equipped with is a high degree of skepticism 
about what those powerful people in and close to government are motivated by. Let's go to the phone. We have Ashley calling from Poston's Corner. Ashley, you're live. Uh, uh, good morning, fellas. I'll give you a local issue that started off as a com- conspiracy, and it got picked up about five or six years ago. Fitch News was talking about how uh, General Assembly, lawyer legislators, and judges were kind of in cahoots together and doing a little shady deals here and there. But he was called a conspiracy theorist. But go ahead forward after some things happened, after some reporting was done, and now we've got legislation out there to help solve the problem. Thank you, Ashley. Appreciate that. And that's going from kind of kind of from start to finish. That's seeing it through to its fruition. And I don't. I mean, I, I'm not some some truth warrior. Please, please don't. I mean, I, I'm not this guy that that is above the fray. I'm in the muck with you. I mean, I, I get as much wrong as I get right, or I get as much wrong as as you do probably about where, where I need to pay attention, what I need to pay uh, close attention to. The the only difference in me and you is I have a radio show. I give a number. And I do have a busy head, and the busy head leads me down these these rabbit holes or roads, and and out of that comes not answers. I mean, I'm I'm not you know, you got to have a question before we have an answer. And and I don't know that we're motivated enough to come up with the questions that that we need to be in pursuit of answers of. Does that make sense? We we go looking for answers to questions. I think the first thing we have to look for what are the appropriate questions. Uh, and I, we talked about some of the macros today, COVID, the election, um, climate, the electric government. Mean, you know, I hope and pray that one day we can power our economy without harming the planet. I mean, I don't know that we're harming the planet, but if we are, I hope one day we could find a better way to do it. But but the question I have today is, and nobody can answer this question, um, what is the optimal temperature of the planet Earth? I mean, if we're going to talk climate and we're going to talk about, you know, re-energizing an economy, decarbonizing an economy, that then somebody can substantiate. See, that's that's a question. I don't have an answer to that. I don't profess, Josh, to have an answer to that. But the question I have, I've never heard it answered. We got all these experts. We, we got all this academic research, all this funding and grants that have gone to, I mean, we got billions of dollars that have been spent in the name of climate change. And I have one simple question. What is the optimal temperature of the planet Earth? What is our goal? And, and nobody can answer that question. See, sometimes we, we look for answers, and I think we should look for the right questions to pose to those who have amassed enormous authority and influence and power in our economy and political body or body politic. Take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. 843-661-0937. Got a call. Let's go there. All right. Uh, I haven't had the chance to get this person's name. Okay, I'm name, sorry. The but, other caller uh, dropped. Yes. Okay. Did, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Person through well, in, in real time. We're doing it a in bit shorthanded time, today. Yeah. Josh is um is uh, multitasking because the Rev is in Florida with his mom. Let's go to the phone. All right, sir. You're live. Hello. Hello. Hey, you're on the air. Oh, good. I thought I lost you. Hey, uh, Candace DW. What's up? How about my Tigers? Playing better. My Gamecocks are struggling. Yeah, my Tigers looking pretty good right now. I hope both of them do well and both get to go to the big game, but you know how that is. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, getting back to your point you know, about this conspiracy theory stuff, uh, I'm all about intent. And intent, to me, is looking for something that's true. If you're trying to find what the truth is and you're pushing issues 
and push issues where people don't like it. That's usually the ones that get cut out. It's, it's going to work out good for Tucker, but for uh, you know everyday people, uh, we kind of get short in the stick if we start saying something a little crazier than what they want to hear because they don't care about the truth. They don't care about your intent. All they care about is their agenda. So uh, that's a, a thought for conspiracy theories and what's going on in this world. They don't care about truth. They don't care about intent. They just want to get their way. So that's just something I throw out there. Thank you, D.W. Appreciate that. Um, but there are degrees of conspiracy theories. I mean, there, there are some conspiracy theories very believable, and there are those who like, wow, dude. I, I mean, I, that's that's out there. You know, I'm not going to say I'm not going to say you don't have a right to believe in that because certainly you do. But but Josh made mention um, about you know th- there was kind of a liberal theory out there, a conspiracy theory uh, back in the I guess the hippie generation that the the CIA and the government were making drugs available to the African-American community to make people dependent on drugs, therefore um, non-dependent on themselves, become more dependent on government. I mean, that, that would have been a liberal conspiracy theory, but it was very believable because it was a liberal conspiracy theory. It aligned with, you know, um, some of the issues in minority communities that, that, or trying to be addressed by by government pro. So let, let let's 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 go down this rabbit hole with me. So if the government wants to make people more dependent, and we believe that liberals do. I mean, I, I believe that liberals genuinely. I mean, if I were a liberal politician running on big government programs and plans, I'd want more power over those programs and plans, and I'd want more people depending on those programs and plans. I mean, that would just make sense. I mean, if I were a liberal. I'd want these government programs and I'd want more people to be on those government programs because that puts them in a subservient position and me in a position of authority and, and superiority. So if, if, if I needed to create more dependency of the masses on government programs, what better way to do that than to create some sort of um, a drug dependency? I'm at a drug issue. In other words, I'm hooked on drugs. I can't provide for my family, can't provide for myself. Um, I need the government to do that. I mean, is that, is that, I mean, to me, that's not very whacked out. And, and in general, conspiracy theories try, I mean, they don't all, they try to give kind of a simple answer to the question about who holds the power in society. That's really when you go all the way back to conspiracy theories, it's, it's about power influence and, and sway, not just politically. I mean, it could be economically, it could be culturally, it could be a matter of the mind. Um, so to speak, it's, it's an interesting topic. I didn't mean to spend four hours um, talking about it, but it does play into uh, what I consider to be the um, the overriding narrative and intent of this show. And, and I've always accepted that I can do very little at the federal level about immigration, trade, China, whatever the issue of the day is, debt. But, but I can convince a higher percentage of you to be less trusting of your government. We'll talk tomorrow.